Happy Friday the 13th and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We usually produce a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, but from Friday the 13th of February through today, Friday the 13th of March, we're going to celebrate the Friday the 13th franchise by bringing you what has ended up being six-part series. So we're actually having another one next Friday. (laughs) And so... This is really exciting to us. We're bringing you in-depth feature reviews and analysis of the entire franchise, just like we did last October with Halloween. And so um, for episodes 42 through 47, you get a new podcast released each Friday. And this is episode 46, the fifth installment of the series. And tonight we'll be covering Jason X from 2001, Freddy vs. Jason from 2003, and the new Friday the 13th remake from 2009. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, or as my wife calls me, Uber Jason. I'm podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from the Philadelphia suburbs. What's man, Josh? How's it going, Jay? It's good, buddy. Thanks for being here, you guys. Really excited. Um, before we talk about this week's prize giveaway, I got to jump right to it. We have a special guest, and this guy is one of my new favorite podcasters, genuinely. He is the host of the Sci-Fi Podcast. We welcome back Matroid. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> We're glad you're here, buddy. And, and seriously, I, I meant what I said. If listeners have not heard the Sci-Fi Podcast yet, it is like another sister show to Horror Movie Podcast. And if you like this show... And if you're okay with sci-fi, which I am, then I guarantee you will love that show. It's like the sci-fi version of horror movie podcasts. They are fantastic. Right, Josh? Yes, although I, I will apologize for the audio fidelity. We're, we're working on it. By episode four, it's all going to be ironed out perfectly. But yeah, it's, it's a little rough around the edges right now, but good content regardless of the fidelity. Definitely. I second that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to episode two. I haven't heard it yet. I've only heard uh, episode one. So we can't wait, Matt. We're ready for more content. Yeah, I'm ready for it too. Uh, <laughs> episode two comes out next, uh, let's see, next Thursday. So nice. uh, yeah, by the time people are listening to this, they'll have a little bit less than a week to gear up for episode two, which is great. The theme of episode two is Jupiter Ascending and the Chosen One in Science Fiction. So you get to hear all of our wonderful, happy thoughts about Jupiter Ascending, a movie I recommend that everybody go see in theaters. <laughs> yeah, right. I wouldn't do that or you're going to lose all your podcast <laughs> Yeah. Well, but then when they listen to it, they'll know exactly why I'm lying right now. Yeah, yeah but, the but then they'll have had to have paid money to watch a movie like that. <laughs> that movie's <laughs> awful. Don't pay, don't pay a dime to see that movie. In fact, if someone tries to take you to that movie, do not be their friend. Yes. What what was it? Something about the trailer that just didn't ring. I was. Did anybody else think Battlefield Earth while they were looking at that trailer? <laughs> yes. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> I love I mean, it that, that you that's said that. It is. At I, least they had dreadlocks in Battlefield Earth. I love it that you said that, Matt, because I, I sense you're a little bit serious about that, and I'm actually one of the very few in the world Battlefield Earth apologists. Just saying. Oh, Jason, I like you a whole heck of a lot. You're one of my new best friends, but I hate that movie. <laughs> Most people do, so you're in good company. And, and, and I have really weird ties to it, and uh, we can discuss that not on this recording. Okay, okay. 
but you'll get a kick out of it. I can't wait to hear it. Okay, everybody. Well, as we have done the past five weeks, we want to have a Friday the 13th related prize giveaway. And uh, first of all, let's turn it over to Wolfman Josh to tell the listeners what the prize is for this week. We've got a great prize here, guys. It's the last week of the contest, and we are giving away a Camp Crystal Lake t-shirt to one lucky winner. Basically, it's a, it looks like a traditional camp t-shirt. It's got Camp Crystal Lake written in kind of the you know uh, pieces of wood font, <laughs> but the difference being that Jason Voorhees is rowing a little canoe out on the lake in the image. And um, At what age? As an adult with a hockey mask. Okay. And there's some cool cross machetes at the bottom of the Camp Crystal Lake logo there. This is available in sizes small through triple extra large and in the colors of light blue, white, red, and heather gray. I recommend the uh, light blue. It looks kind of like one of those camp counselor t-shirts. So. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. That sounds like a great prize, actually. It is. And that will be shipped straight to your door. You just have to do a jump through a few hoops to get it, right? Do you yeah. want to talk about that? Yes, and, and it's not hard, actually, and this will benefit the podcast. So here's what we're going to do. In order to enter this particular prize giveaway, all you got to do is email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment in the show notes for this episode, episode 46, and you just give us a horror movie recommendation that is lesser known. Give us a gem that more than likely most people have not seen. And what we will do with that is your hosts here and one guest we will pick from the pool of those, so we'll each pick a movie, and in an upcoming episode, we will review four of those movies that you guys recommended in depth. And of course, we'll have a random drawing to select one winner who gets from, the shirt. I would say from the four people whose movies we choose. Do you think that's, is that too... Because that, that puts a little pressure on them to pick a good movie, to recommend a good movie. Oh, there you go. Oh, right, that's okay. a good so, idea. The winner will be chosen from one of the four people, randomly selected from one of the four people whose movie is chosen for the review. Nice. Okay. There you go. I like that a lot. I'm really anxious to see what, what we get for this. I know. What they come back with. And what else we'll do, we'll be reviewing the four of the movies, but we'll tell you the list. We'll, like Maybe we'll oh, post yeah. the list of the other picks mm-hmm. so you can go through them and check them out for yourselves. Because our listenership, they have some pretty banging recommendations, I have to say. Oh, Anyways, yeah. so just as a warning, we typically don't reveal spoilers on horror movie podcasts, but in order to discuss this franchise in depth, there will be major plot spoilers for the entire franchise, especially... For the 10th, 11th, and 12th movie tonight. And we're going to try to just stick within each movie and review it in a vacuum. Because next week will be our franchise overview. We'll discuss listener feedback. We'll do prizes and everything. We'll announce like the winners. And next week is going to be a big bash. So make sure you join us for that. And without any further delay, let's move into our feature review of Jason X from 2001. In the year 2455, on a routine training mission, a team of students is about to discover a life form frozen in time. Wow. What the hell is going on? Jason Voorhees, that's what's going on. Ah! Guys, it's okay, he just wanted his machete back. How do we get off the ship? I don't know. Look, we're gonna be all right. What, are you high? 
Okay, so Jason X, uh, the tenth movie of the franchise, which is I think why the X is there. <laughs> it kind of begins in 2008. Jason Voorhees has been captured, and before too long, he's cryogenically frozen, sent to the 25th century, where he unthaws, or thaws, as it were, I guess, <laughs> and uh, continues to do what he does best, only this time, he's slicing and dicing in space. I'm so glad that Matroid is on here for this, and I'm sure that that was part of um, Wolfman Josh's brilliant plans, because Matroid is our sci-fi expert. And so I just want to ask you, first of all, um, for a man who doesn't necessarily consider Star Wars to be sci-fi, do you consider Jason X to be (laughs) sci-fi? I do. Um, It most certainly was a science fiction movie. I mean, it is, right? So (sighs) it's science fiction. But it's science fiction in the exact same way any Canadian television show that has been science fiction <laughs> is science fiction. Oh, that's funny. Right? Like, uh, what was that one? VR something or other? No, Lex. <laughs> it reminded me of that. Like, just real terrible lighting and all that kind of stuff. It was just bad. Like, it's science fiction, but it's not good science fiction. But it is playing off of more, I would say, probably, um, you know, statistically more science fiction tropes than it's even playing off of horror movie tropes. Although most of them come from Alien. Yes. So I guess you could call that science fiction and horror, but. And and in fact, I was going to give Matroid a shot across the bow right off the bat here at the beginning of this review and say... (laughs) I'm actually not as hard on this movie as most people are. I mean, I I do not consider it among the Jason films, like the Friday the 13th film. I I know it's a Friday the 13th film, but it's kind of its own little separate oddity. And I'll talk more about that in a second. But it's honestly very much like an alien film that I love, Alien Resurrection. It is like, this is the (laughs) Alien Resurrection of the Friday the 13th franchise. And so I don't know what it is. It's hard for me to articulate, but there's something about this movie. Cause like when I was rewatching this, I'm like, okay, this is alien resurrection, but in a way it's also, um, Schumacher's Batman and Robin. And it's like, okay, does Jason have special little nipples on his Uber Jason suit? Like, like I just, do you guys get that vibe? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you said it perfectly. This is the Friday the 13th version of Alien Resurrection. And that is basically all anyone needs to know. (laughs) (laughs) Any conclusion can be drawn from that right there. And and I totally get the Schumacher bat nipples thing. Like his (laughs) Uber Jason metal outfit was made out of like very, very shiny cardboard. Yes. Love it. I need one of those. So here's what I want to know, you guys. And I'm sorry to talk so much, but this film kind of gets me going. It gets me excited. Let's talk about how it came to be. Okay, so Freddy versus Jason was initially intended to follow, you know, this this craziness that we saw. Jason goes to hell. And and it was supposed to follow, but that thing got caught up in development hell, as they call it. And 
Um, Josh, would you like to define development hell for those who don't know what that I mean, means? It's basically a situation where the studios, for one reason or another, decide not to make a film, and then it just kind of gets taken off of the takes out gets taken out of the to do pile, and so it just kind of floats around. It's been greenlit. Maybe there have even been screenwriters hired, um, and it just kind of sits there in no man's land, almost like a spaceship that uh, <laughs> has crashed into a space station and is <laughs> leaking from its fuselage. Um, nice. It just kind of just kind of hangs there in no man's land, and, and it's weird because a lot of the time, because of the money that was already spent on pre-production, the movie has a huge debt on it already, and so rather than uh, greenlighting it, they'll they'll just they'd rather eat the debt than have to start a production in in the red because maybe they've hired, you know, six different writers to figure out a screenplay or right. cancel production once before. And for those who are religious and believe in the 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 idea of purgatory, it's kind of like the filmmaking version of purgatory in a way. Um it reminds me a lot of that. And so Freddy versus Jason was said to be coming down the pike at some point, but what they decided to do, they wanted to um what I had read and what I've heard over the years is they wanted to kind of keep the, the interest in the character of Jason. And so they wanted to produce a film. There's a Friday the 13th film, more or less a pot boiler of sorts that did not mess up the Jason goes to hell and then J- Freddy versus Jason storyline. So they wanted to kind of far remove it, which they did. <laughs> and so, um, First of all, how do you guys feel about them doing that kind of thing where they take something that is an established property with established characters in an established world of a certain universe, and then they totally rip it out of all that and put it completely somewhere else? How do you feel about it? It's complicated for me because it's something I actually advocate for all the time. It's unfortunate that Jason X exists as as an example of one that goes terribly wrong. Because for me, you know, I'm always saying I don't want another Spider-Man origin story. Like, please do not reboot these movies. Yes. I do not want to see Batman Begins part like the fourth time. Like, just make a standalone Batman movie. That would be so much cooler than having to start over. I know I, I know this is probably going to annoy people, but I was a big advocate of the found footage Friday the 13th movie that they talked about. I like the idea of a found footage Halloween movie. Just do a standalone film. It doesn't have to connect to the franchise. We get it. The franchise exists. Like if we, if Rob Zombie's done making his Halloween movies and we have to start over again with a remake of the first film, why just make a standalone film again? However, Jason X. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a pro that's the problem for me. Like, because I think it would be so great. I, I, you know, one thing I always say, I would love to see Idris Elba play Batman in just a in one-off movie. Mm-hmm. How cool would that be? I'd love to see him play anyone. Yeah, yeah. especially me. I'd like him to see <laughs> in a movie playing me. He would do really well. Yeah. And so and so I like the idea. This is removed from the continuity. They can just do a standalone film. The continuity really <laughs> is a big mess in this franchise. Anyways, who cares? Like. Original franchise exists. Let's do something interesting. I, I don't like what they did here personally. I, I you know, I'm not the hugest science fiction fan. I don't, and as as Matt said, this is you know, this is like the really low budget version of like a sci-fi television program. Yeah. So that's unfortunate in itself as well. But I don't know. There's some fun, interesting things here. It, I think it's interesting because we talk about ranking movies. 
by genre kind of um by you know what what it contains the most of and on imdb this is ranked as horror sci-fi thriller i think i would rank this as sci-fi comedy horror and so (laughs) that's probably right there's a lot of comedy in this movie yes and there's a lot of standing around the bridge with not much happening that's true what do you say dr shock well, you know, one one of the things went on the um, on the sci-fi podcast that I kind of liked was when uh, the host talked about their uh, three guilty pleasures. Yeah, I have to say that Jason X would probably be one of my guilty pleasures. <laughs> nice. I mean, I cool. do I I do recognize the issues with it, and yeah, there's some parts of it you cringe a little as as you're watching, but there's just something kind of kind of fun about about putting Jason in this environment you know where where it's not a bunch of kids who okay you know that 90 percent of them are going to be victims this is one where it's kind of like okay you know these are people who have some skills here let's see what happens you know that you know it's, it's one of those things where it's it's interesting as it goes along to see who survives and who doesn't yeah you know and that i think that whereas whereas if you're watching a, a an older friday a 13th movie you know you could pretty much pick out, well, this one's not going to make it. This one's not going to make it and <laughs> and so forth. And I'm not saying that all of the characters here, um, there were a few that you can kind of be like, okay, yeah, I don't think he'll be around for long or she'll be around for long. But for the most part, this is like bringing together a group of people for, for like a reason. And I thought that, yeah, I, I thought that it, it worked. I thought that, you know, I, I liked that, that setting for it. And, um, yeah, and and some of the stuff in it, yes, there is comedy, but I gotta admit, I laughed. I mean, when when they created that Crystal Lake simulation at the end, oh boy. and you had those two girls there, you know, I understand it's like way over the top, but way. I laughed. I, I laughed. I thought it was funny. Here, here's an honest question for you, Dave. Did you laugh on the line where he said, um, "It's gonna take more than a poke in the ribs to put this old dog down," and then there's another big stab, and he's like. Yeah, that ought to do it. Did that make you uh, laugh? <laughs> no, I can't. I can't say that particular line. Okay, made me laugh. To be honest with you, um, okay. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, that's you know, and, you know, there's a lot of that in this movie where uh, of people reacting in ways that you know they would not react. Never <laughs> you know, ever. or say things you know that they would not say. Yeah. If it was um, a comedy, it wouldn't matter. Like I would have, I could have laughed at that line. That's that's the hard thing. Like it's not a terribly written comedy. There's some funny moments, I think, but yeah. As a as a horror film, it's like okay, I'm really supposed to believe Jason's killing this guy, and this is his reaction. I don't like that universe, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It's. I think it's weird because I actually was kind of all for the concept of sending Jason into space, not just because I love science fiction, but because it was due for you know. I think the franchise was due for something a little different. I like the idea of kind of a one-off or something that doesn't really impact the rest of the franchise all that much. Um, you, one would never have to watch this and still could consider themselves a huge Friday the 13th fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is in the continuity, but really it uh, kind of d- dismembers itself quite quickly. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I, I just couldn't get past the little things like the yucky disco renaissance wardrobe. Like it's the worst <laughs> thing ever. Um, the, the really big inconsistencies with language. So they're talking about how they've never heard of a bicycle and they don't know what this is or what that is, but then they're using rhetoric from 2001, 2002, 
Uh, some of that kind of stuff, I know it's difficult because you can't create an entirely new uh, language or verbiage for people from a new era that doesn't exist because you'll lose the audience. They won't really get what they're saying. But look at <laughs> the shows like Firefly and science fiction. But what they did is they incorporated some Chinese. They use words that you start to understand what it means. And mm-hmm. in this, they're like, no way. That is so stupid. I can't believe that Jason would cut someone's head off. And it's like, <laughs> you sound like a valley girl. But, you know, all these, it just, it felt so contrived, weird. Like they, it didn't really have an identity. And I know I used that exact same critique on the last one uh, that I did with you guys, but it just really felt like there was no identity. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of wanted to be science fiction. It wanted to be comedy. It wanted to be horror. It was very much the uh, haunted house narrative, but, or I mean, it ripped off alien a ton. And, oh, and I know the writer, the writer loved alien, which is why his character, he's actually Dallas in the movie. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. named himself Dallas after Tom Skerritt's Dallas. So, or, uh, yeah, Chris. Yeah. Tom right. Skerritt. I'm thinking Chris Christopherson. Yeah. yeah Tom Skerritt. So, <laughs> nice. I mean, clearly, clearly you get the alien overtones, but. And he clearly loved aliens. He clearly loved aliens too, because you, that, that whole scene with them down there and, and um, you know the one girl from um, who who was with Jason saying get him out of there you know they they, right. they don't know what they're right. up against that's all aliens you know that's almost completely just lifted out of aliens yeah let me ask you guys real quick mm-hmm. if you don't mind if you if you had three trained military guys with machine guns or whatever the equivalent is and Jason's twelve feet in front of you are you going to be sweeping the area like you're trying to put out a fire with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> They missed him the entire time. Everything's breaking. Everything's falling down. And they're just sweeping the room like they're trying to shoot at a thousand different things. That kind of stuff will instantly take me out of a movie. And I know that this is not a high production art film, but man, that just really rubs me the wrong way. (laughs) I get that. With three of them, maybe they wouldn't be sweeping the room like that. Maybe one might do that. But I I think with three of them, they might not be all (laughs) sweeping the room like that. Right. It, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be realistic in a film like this, but it, you know, Jason movie is at least about efficiency of killing. So, I would think they would get that part correct. Yeah, right. Good point. Yeah, yeah and in in talking about the alien ripoffs, I mean, you you could seriously make a giant list, but a glaring one is just the whole. And this is, a, I suppose, this is a minor minor spoiler for Alien from 1979, but. The Ash character, at one point we just have his head and he's talking. Well, we have that same talking head sort of instance here with, is it uh, KM14? Is that what she goes by? Oh, yeah. Something like that. And anyway, um, so there are so many things like that. And like in the original Alien, it's one of those things where they find this, this frozen cold creature and then they bring it on board. And then it wakes up and goes nuts, you know, and, and, and like just so many parallels. It's just like, yeah. wow, did they give um, Dan O'Bannon like a little bit of money for this? <laughs> Seriously. I was going to say it's kind of ironic because John Carpenter claims that O'Bannon ripped off Alien from It, the creature from another world. <laughs> right. That's funny. You know, when uh, Rowan, so the main character who gets frozen in the beginning um, with Jason First of all, the scene, it's, it's whatever it is. You know, she gets, uh, he's locked inside the cryo chamber. It's this massive militaristic construction. It's like 
six to 10 inches of really hardened, probably cold rolled steel. Like there's no way you're getting through this. And his machete, which if they're dull enough, can't even hack down like a small limb on a tree, slices <laughs> right through the steel door like it's hot butter into her stomach and then out. And I actually thought the first thing I thought was, huh, chestburster. Weird. Like for an alien movie, it's, it felt like the chestburster. Nice. Yeah. Right. It just, I mean, it, it just keeps coming around and coming around. And yet the difference is alien is super effective, super patient. The lighting is re- it really works for the movie. The lighting on this was really bad. Like they'd never kind of like, sitcom lighting. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. That's a perfect way mm-hmm. of putting it. It's sitcom. Yeah. Lighting. <laughs> or like, or like I said, it's like Canadian sci-fi television lighting. Yeah. Wow. The first thing I would say about the machete is why did they freeze him along with his machete? Like if he's in his top, <laughs> if he's in this like top secret, um, high security place, how does he suddenly have a machete the instant he's unfrozen? That's odd. Well, first of all. or I guess pockets, before he's frozen, he actually got frozen with the machete. Oh, you're talking about, sorry. I was talking about the first time. How did he get the machete initially? Yeah. Let me see him tracing back in the, in the uh, army base or wherever he was. Mm-hmm. Well, By my understanding way. is there's a deleted scene. So he's, he's hanging there and the guy throws the blanket over him. Right. Cause he's really yeah. ticked off. My understanding is there's a deleted scene that explains virtually all of that, how he got away, everything. So they probably had his machete, you know, in typical horror movie fashion or whatever, on a table next to them so that they could examine it with a mic, with, right. with a, you know, Sherlock Holmes, uh, whatever that piece of glass Magnifying is. glass. Magnifying glass. Magnifying glass. glass. Mm-hmm. One thing and I yet, think we don't see it, so. David Cronenberg, who plays a small role in this beginning of this movie, is awesome. Like, he's right. the best actor in the movie, and he's not even an actor. He's also the biggest name, which I thought yeah. was weird. Yeah, totally. The biggest name as an actor in the movie isn't even an actor. He's a director. I, I guess Kane Hodder might be one, but, uh, really like I, I kind of went through some of these IMDb profiles of some of these people. They do nothing. I mean, they've all been in like FX, the series, which is based on the Brian Brown uh, movies, which are really kind of good. Um, and they're, they're all in these like really weird productions over the years, but not a single one of them has done much in the way of, you know, very highly watched programming or, or movies or anything. It's just kind of the smattering of really odd characters, and it looks like they did, they went overboard in trying to diversify. So you've got like a lot of women, you've got a lot of different cultures and races, and I have no problem with that. But it does kind of harken back to that time around the two thousands when they kind of were hypersensitive about how much they needed to do that, mm-hmm. and I felt like that kind of stuck stuck out like a sore thumb a little bit. It was just again just another example of what felt like they were trying really hard to communicate something. Maybe as a white guy, you felt that, but I thought, wow, I'm actually comfortable with this group of people for once. I'm just joking. Um, I'm I'm nine fourteenth <laughs> Latino. Thank you. <laughs> the 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 third biggest name in this movie is Todd Farmer, who's the writer, and right. I like Todd Farmer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he he has a small role in the movie, and he he says the line "game over," and I thought for sure he was going to go with the "game over" man from Aliens. I thought that was going to happen after his buddy gets knocked off by Jason. Because you know, yeah, yeah. When Bill Paxton's up on his previous game over comment, <laughs> game over. He's, he's the one that's Dallas, so he's he's the one that wrote it and clearly admits to uh, being a, a massive Alien fan. So yeah. when he names his own character Dallas, I think you kind of can go from there. I, I really like Todd Farmer. There's an interesting article. I, I feel like I've talked about it with Jay and 
yes. we talked before. But Did we talk about it on the podcast? Well, it wasn't during the recording, so go ahead and promote okay, well, it. Well, there's a, there's a great new IndieWire article out that, ta- that uh, interviews Todd Farmer, and he talks about how difficult it is to make it as a Hollywood screenwriter and how he's basically been homeless even after doing a huge film like Drive Angry, which, you know, a lot of people don't love, but it's a, it was a major, you know, release. And then he's also done My Bloody Valentine that a lot of people like, the 2009 film. But anyway, it was interesting. Messengers, which again, I think is a good, pretty good movie too. But um, yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's a really sad article basically about how difficult it is to be a Hollywood screenwriter. But I, I like the guy and I, and I don't think the script's terrible. I think it's a fun kind of goofy, campy, comedic take on Jason. It feels to me like it should have been a scary movie movie. Like if this had been a parody film, which it essentially is, it's essentially right. a parody of yeah. sci-fi mm-hmm. horror. I, I can actually accept that. It's just difficult when you're calling the character Jason, you know? If they would have done some production value stuff to boost it a little bit, so make maybe just, I mean, really address the lighting, address some of the, and which in turn would probably address some of the cheapness of the set. Those kind of things, you can still keep it uh, slapstick. You can still keep it kind of a satire or whatever, but it would at least be easier to stomach. It would be more palatable. Instead, it's this. It's just too difficult to watch it and say, even though I know this is not meant to be taken very seriously, I feel like they, they didn't even bother to finish the movie. It doesn't feel finished to me. Yeah, Like they didn't run it through through any kind of post-production to... to address some of the issues. It seems like they're kind of like, Hey, this is pretty good raw footage. Let's uh, cut it together and we're done. Yeah. Yeah. It's not nearly as good as alien resurrection. Just want to point that out, but um, (laughs) stop it. I'm I'm serious. Well, here's the other thing in, in Dr. Shock, by the way, I'm ashamed at you because the thing is, I think you're forgetting the value of alien resurrection because you have praised much lesser films than that, but I, I guess that's for another podcast. <laughs> well, I, okay. I, I've, I'm not going to disagree. Like if you're talking about maybe some of the seventies schlock, uh, that I really <laughs> enjoy. Um, I just can't get over that, that faced creature, that, that thing with the human face. That was the part that I wanted to check out. Mm. You know, I was once said, okay, I got to get out of here. <laughs> and just the whole Ripley from uh, the clone and, and boy, she's, uh, she sure remembers it. You know, not, not too many, I don't know how many clones would remember everything that happened before, but maybe they would. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're going to have it out on that one of these days, but I got a question. Well, we, real I'd quick. Say, hey, I wouldn't mind doing the alien franchise. <laughs> I, I, I want to have fun. I want to have both you guys on that one when we, because we'll be covering all the alien movies yes. uh, in, in depth for sure on the nice. sci-fi podcast. Let's do I would, I've already, I've already invited Jason on for that so that he and station, my wife can side up and, and me and the other co-host can trash them. Uh, doc, I'd love <laughs> to have you on that too, man. I, I'm there. Okay. I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, you know what? It's funny because I'm like you. I'm also a, uh, uh, sort of a fan of alien three. I mean, I don't put it quite up with the first two, but I do, I did enjoy alien three as well. Well, company, good company. Okay. Real quick. I got a question for Matt droid because, um, this is just eaten away at me. So as a man who, and I won't spoil this. Well, I guess it's a minor spoiler here, but as a man, considering your number one sci-fi movie pick, okay. How do you feel about the fact that this Space Odyssey here came out in 2001? 
How does that make you feel? <laughs> uh, I think Kubrick's film is a better representation of actual 2001 than this movie is of the 25th century. <laughs> oh, um, if, I mean, something that's weird on that real quick. I know that was kind of a joke and a little bit loaded, but honestly, the, the difference there is that if this movie is trying to be science fiction, and it certainly is, like one of the coolest shots, the coolest points of the whole movie is that it is post-apocalyptic, which was actually what episode three of the sci-fi podcast is about is post-apocalyptic uh, movies right. and, and the setting and whatnot. This movie fits very well. And we should have brought it up in, uh, when we recorded last night, because you, you see earth, they go to crystal Lake or camp crystal Lake laboratories or whatever, mm-hmm. where crystal Lake used to be. And it's, it's like this 25th century field trip and uh, it's dusty and there's winds and it really looks like a terrible day in the Badlands of Wyoming. I mean, it's or maybe like a, a horrible part of the desert in Mexico or something. It's just awful, clearly inhospitable. You know, you, nothing could live there, not even Jason. And to me, that's really cool because it's a stark contrast to what we know Crystal Lake to be. And there's no lake there for Jason. And I liked that. They took away something that we tie with Jason. Like you guys have mentioned on earlier episodes how he keeps finding his way back to the bottom of the lake. I think that's really cool. And in this one, there's no lake to go to. And I like that they take that away from him, at least until the worst ending in the history of movies. But I like that kind of stuff. If they would have stuck with some of those themes a little better, this could have been a science fiction movie. I could have put, if nothing else, on my guilty pleasure list because there are nuances of of interesting ideas and thoughts there. But instead, it's like stoner kid who's from like a, 90s snowboarder uh you know you get these really weird uh, the the probably one of the worst scenes ever with the doctor and wearing that like purple negligee or whatever like all of a sudden the movie becomes so strange (laughs) i think they're trying to say science fiction can be weird and thus science fiction and kubrick was saying science fiction is or something that deserves to be taken seriously so to answer your question i hate this movie (laughs) that's not what you asked (laughs) well the thing is and i will I hate going on the record saying this. I hate that this is being recorded, but to me, this movie, I think it's an example of uh, so bad it's good. I mean, if you can, if you can separate the fact that they've taken a beloved monster, Jason, who's really an, a great monster, classic monster of the modern age, kind of just to put it in the best phrase possible, like pissed on. <laughs> like his character basically <laughs> i mean that's what they did but aside from that which is offensive as a as a fan of the franchise but aside from that i mean i think it's a so bad it's good movie because it's so weird and so bizarre it's like uh, you can't you kind of can't look away from it and it is entertaining i mean can you who can deny on this podcast that this movie's a little bit entertaining i want right. to <laughs> It's like Leonard part six. Like it's, you know, it's not good. It's not even so bad. It's so good. Really? I mean, well, well clearly, I, I mean, know. this movie's better than the first five Leonard movies even. So like, <laughs> just kidding. I wish, I wish it was made exactly how they were. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> nice. I, I love what we're doing here. What great interplay. So one other question about the, the crystal Lake um, hologram imagery, that they do. Everybody always refers to that and they're really offended by that or bent out of shape at that. And it's like, okay, a couple things on that. Number one, it's really not that long of a sequence. The, yeah, I mean, the fact that it's in the movie, 
<laughs> that needs to be addressed. But it's really not a major part of the film. But the, number two is, I, I just feel like that was their, I guess, backup or safeguarding attempt. You know, in case people were not digging the Jason in space vibe, it's like, well, I don't want them to say in their critiques hey, leave Jason in the woods. I want him at the lake. You know, and I think, I almost think that they put that in there just to say, hey, you got him at the lake. It still had that in it. I mean, do you guys think they did that? Or I mean, what were they really trying to do there with that? That was nuts. I I think it was just straight um, like satire, I think is what they were going for. They're satirizing the original films and they're they're doing something that makes sense in the sci-fi environment. So I I mean, I thought it was actually, I don't see why people have a problem with it. It's not the most egregious thing in the movie by a long shot in my mind. I think it's a fine scene. It's a, it seems to fit well in the world that they've established. Which Star Trek is it that they do that with the, the hologram? Come on. Come on, Matroid. Next generation. Yeah. Next Next generation. generation, Yeah. From a holodeck. (laughs) Yeah, the holodeck thing. Like it, it actually reminds me a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in that one particular yeah, movie, exactly. And it, it's like a, same production values and everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I think I think they probably you know took inspiration from that in order to do it. Well, you get a cool kill out of you know the first time you see the hologram too, because you're thinking, what is going on the first time you see the hologram show up in the movie? I think that's right. Oh, where 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 the kids like, hey, that doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought that was really yeah, I cool. I actually did I, like that. I like that too, yeah. Oh, man. It's funny. You but I will say, you know, they took the best kill. Josh, I know it's your favorite kill in all of movies, uh, at least in horror movies, the sleeping bag kill, right? So cool. And yeah. it just did not play in this. It just did not work. Like, no. I did not like them bringing it back. I did. I thought that was, they should have left enough alone because it was so good before. Yeah, and in this, it's, it's like, sorry, guys, you, you already missed your opportunity to make this a good movie, that's not going to make it any better. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, you, I, I, don't, I always did kind of wonder why did the two of them suddenly climb into a sleeping bag in the middle of the day? Obviously just <laughs> to set up that scene. The only information the holodeck had about that year. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> okay, as we start to wrap up, because we need to wrap up and keep on moving here, um, does anybody think that Uber Jason looks exactly like the He-Man action figures from He-Man, like he, <laughs> exactly, he, lo- yeah, he looks chest. like yeah. he looks like Mecha Neck, and if his if his head would come like way up out of his body and have a giant long neck, uh, he would look like Mecha Neck to me. But he's looked like every yeah. one of those little action figures that they would put out for those things with the huge chest that's way too big for the head. Yes, <laughs> like many faces and Man of War or whatever they are. Yeah, uh, right. the little guy that you can switch his head around. Yes. Yeah, he totally looked like a bad Skeletor ripoff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And well, he looks more like the movie version of the He-Man characters than he does the actual characters. That's true. That's yeah. true. Okay. Well, as we wrap up here with Jason X, um, I'll just kick it off because I'm not ashamed at all. So Jason X, <laughs> here's my rating. Guys, like I said, I think it's so bad it's good. It reminds me a lot of Alien Resurrection, which I'm fond of, and... I actually have a good time when I watch this movie. No, it's not a movie that I put on all the time. I've actually only seen it, what, a couple of times. But each time I have seen it, I'm like, man, that's a freaking weird movie. What were they doing? (laughs) What are they doing right now? You know, and it's kind of funny to me. 
my biggest complaint about this, to be honest with you, is um, all the dumb comedy. Because I think uh, of all the things they do to like slaughter Jason's memory or his honor, uh, his Hall of Fame honor as a as a killer. Um, I think all the jokes in the face of his terror are the most disrespectful part of it. So that's honestly my biggest complaint. The ending is absolutely, I mean, we haven't even talked about that, but it's insane. It reminds me of a pigs in space scenario, like from the Muppet show. It's like (laughs) pigs in space stuff. It's that bad. Uh, Anyway, but to me, I think it's watchable. And I'm kind of sorry to say that, but I I like it enough. The, the, the idea of Jason going up on a spaceship and basically being an alien ripoff, I like it enough that I give it a 5 out of 10, middle of the road. I call it a low-priority rental, but I still think it's fun. So that's where I am. What do you say, Dr. Shock? Uh, first off, I'd like a Metroid. Put that down for a future idea of Pigs in Space episode. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Love it. Yeah. I'm with you, Jay. I actually even maybe like it a little more than you do. I have not seen it that often either. This is not something I'll just sit down and pop in and, and watch. But the few times I've seen it, I've had fun. You know, I've had I've had fun with it, realizing that it's not a great Friday the 13th movie, realizing that it's not even a great science fiction movie. But it's just for me, it was it was entertaining. Um, I did like that that they put Jason in with with characters who you know who could hold their own, and um, I did laugh at some of the uh, parts of it. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm actually gonna give it a six out of ten. I'm gonna say it's a rental, and um, you know definitely worth checking out. I would have gone higher, but there are parts of it that remind me of Alien Resurrection. Oh, oh <laughs> nice dig. Okay. And what do you say, um, Wolfman Josh? Uh, I think this is really bad. I think um, if it were a horror, no, let's see. If this were a comedic sci-fi movie, like a B-rate comedic sci-fi movie, I would think the inclusion of Jason was a lot of fun. If this were a uh, scary movie movie, I would say, oh, this is not bad for one of those movies. This is is like par for the course. As an entry in the Friday the 13th franchise, I think it's even below some of the terrible movies we've seen in this franchise. So, I mean, I think uh, I would call this a two. I think it is so bad it's good, though. It's not a movie I'm ever going to watch again, but I think if you wanted to put this in with your friends, you will have fun. I think the comedy is good. I think uh, Todd Farmer's script is pretty funny and fun. Um, And uh, James Isaac, for being a guy who is a uh, special effects, visual effects guy, it's not a bad directorial debut, I guess. Um, for someone who's not in that field. So it, it, it's like a, if you want to see a spoof of the Friday the 13th franchise in space, that's that's what you're seeing. <laughs> so do you say avoid it or do you say low priority rental? Like, no, what? I'm going to say avoid it unless you want to see a So Bad It's Good movie with your buddies in a party. Then it would be a fun atmosphere and fun movie to watch. Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right, Matroid, our sci-fi expert, what do you rate Jason X? Um, you know, oddly enough, as much as I dislike this movie, I do think there, there are things that, that work, little things, uh, nothing major. And if it could have been, I mean, it could have been played in so many other ways, like you've all said, and been so much more successful, so much more fun, more interesting. It could have been truly scary. I think science fiction can lend itself to horror quite well. And I think that they missed an opportunity to reward fans who'd stuck with Jason for a long time. So 
despite some of the stuff that I like, and despite the fact that I do think it's one that could be fun to watch uh, every blue moon with a group of friends, um, I would probably say it's a three. And it's uh, probably a must-watch only because you, it helps you appreciate what Jason was. And then <laughs> if you've seen it, uh, or if you don't like science fiction but you like horror, it's an avoid. So kind of loaded there. Uh, it's it's kind of take it as you will. I don't think anyone has to see this movie. Okay. Three out of ten. Avoid. All right. So that's our review of Jason X. Before we go here, Matroid, okay. th- thank you for being on the show and helping us to review this piece of film art. We're grateful <laughs> that you were here. And so why don't you tell listeners one last time where they can hear your awesome podcast? Sure. Hey, thanks for having me on again. It's uh, my third time. I hope it's not my last, even though some of the stuff I said may uh, steer me that direction i fear um <laughs> lots of fun i love being on with you guys uh and and it was fun to revisit these movies you can always find me at the sci-fi podcast.com which is where you'll be able to hear my podcast which is similar to the horror movie podcast but a science fiction theme instead of horror and you can hear some familiar voices on there william solo jr who's i think on movie podcast weekly mm-hmm. is that correct and he's been over here before and as well as, yeah, he's been on as Kill Bill Kill, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, Station, my wife, she's a great co-host to have. We have guests that, that will be familiar voices like Cody Clark. Uh, we're going to try to get Carl Huddleston on. I'd like to have all of you guys on again. And uh, or Josh again, you guys on as well in the future. And you can hear me there too. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher and iTunes. Please subscribe. Please leave nice comments and reviews. Visit us on the message boards and we would love to hear what you have to say. And then you can also find the stuff that I write in my uh, other persona, Gary the Unicorn, at heraldextra.com backslash entertainment, where you can read articles I write of satirical and comedic nature. Lately, I've been making fun of American Idol in the form of very brief reviews uh, because I'm kind of forced to do so. There you have it. All right. Thanks again, buddy. You have a good night. You too. Thanks, guys. At this point in episode 46 of Horror Movie Podcast, we're going to welcome two special guests. We're going to welcome back the wild man himself from Terror Troop, Willis Wheeler. Welcome, Willis. How sweet dark meat. (laughs) I wondered if you were going to make some kind of comment along those lines, Willis. I love you for your sense of humor, brother. (laughs) I had to bust that out because you're talking about one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Oh, man. Um, Oh, yeah, that's Uh-oh. that's good to that's good to know right up front out of the gate. I think um, I also want to welcome. This is the first time he has been on a horror movie podcast, but I'm really excited to podcast with him finally because it, I, I've I've known him for a while, but it may be the first time that I've podcasted with him that I can recall. He is one of the hosts of the Rotten Rantings Horror Podcast, along with Katie Rotts. We welcome our friend Chris Robo. Whoa, Jay. That's a lot of alliteration you just spit out right there. <laughs> and I do believe you're correct. I mean, we've virtually known each other for a long time, but I think this is the first time we've ever actually casted together. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So it is um, a momentous occasion. And I'm grateful that you were willing to visit our show here. So thank you. And if people haven't heard Rotten Rantings, I know that people are familiar with Terror Troop because um, we talk about it all the time. It's another great show that Willis is on. But Rotten Rantings, 
They do some wild and crazy stuff over there. We were talking about that before we got on. Uh, Just real quick, Chris, would you kind of give the listeners an idea of the kinds of things that you do on Rotten Rantings? Oh, dear. I would sort of describe us as the Tosh.0 of horror podcasts. So (laughs) (laughs) if if that's your kind of your sense of humor, you know, we do. We also do themes much like you. But our themes include rape, shower and uh, (laughs) things like that. Right. So I I consider us a jack of all trades, master of none. Well, kind of an eclectic horror podcast. I got to say, though, I, I was on one episode with you, the um, Horror Olympics, where I think we looked at four movies from uh, four different areas of the world. And I got to say, that was one of the more pleasant, more fun experiences podcasting, to be honest, because I got to see some really good movies when, when yeah. we were doing that. And I think the Asian one was the only one that was a little bit eh, a little bit questionable. But um, I can't remember if that was Japan or Hong Kong now. But, I mean, we, we, we covered Kidnapped. We covered uh, Martyrs. We covered um, House of the Devil. You and know, and it, it was cold fish with the Japanese cold fish. That's yeah. the one. Yep. That that's the one. OK. Um, and that was a that was a lot of fun to record. And it was the first time I'd ever seen Kidnapped. And that movie just sort of blew me away. I was really impressed with that movie. The movie that was one shot, one continuing shot, basically. Yep. That's what it said. What it felt like. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Back when I was on um, Horror Metropolis with Doc and, and Jay here. Jay mysteriously disappeared all of a sudden one day when we were uh, about to record an episode of the show. <laughs> and um, I was doing a documentary podcast at the time for the documentaryblog.com, but I didn't, I wasn't on any other horror podcasts. And I'd really grown to love doing horror podcasting. So um, I was like, oh man, I don't, I don't have any outlet to do any horror podcasting. And, and two podcasts came and offered me a spot. It was, Land of the Creeps, and I and I did a few episodes with them, and and Rotten Rantings as well. So I thank you guys for letting me <clears throat> do some podcasting over there. I did. Um, you guys covered Feast when I was on the show, which was a I don't know if a lot of fun is what I was about to say, but uh, that was almost as miserable as covering the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice! And I was gonna say, Chris Doc kind of beat me to the punch, but I was gonna recommend that people check out your horror olympics episodes because those are those are really quite good so super classy i think we went really classy on those <laughs> oh yes as also, always katie Roth was on horror metropolis right you had her on for uh, she's been on everything as a guest on. <laughs> yeah i'm a big fan of hers i really like her yeah. i think she's a blast so um mm-hmm. make sure you tell her we said hi all right keep that to yourself guys okay <laughs> when will is here he's over on terror troop these are good friends of ours, um, Boss Butcher and the crew over there. They do some crazy episodes, too. We might as well just put in a little plug here for Terror Troop while we're at it. Um, I like how you guys do some shameless horror schlock over there because of Boss, right, Willis? Yeah, of course, because of Boss. We <laughs> do a little bit of everything. We do new school, old school and we even sat through Martyrs, which a movie I will never, ever, ever see again in my life. That is an absolute zero to me. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll try not to hold that against you. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Well, so everybody check out Rotten Rantings and Terror Troop. We'll have it linked in the show notes. And without any further delay, let's move into our feature review of Freddy vs. Jason from 2003. 
Welcome to my nightmare. Why won't you die? Freddy versus Jason. Place your bits. All right, well, Freddy has been forgotten by the citizens of Springfield, Illinois. So he decides to recruit a frenemy, I guess you could call him, and Jason to start killing the residents of Springfield, not the Simpsons uh, <laughs> fictional well, We town. don't think so. We don't think well, so. We, anyway. we can't really know. I mean, there are some comic right. elements to this. I don't, it's hard to tell. But this, of course, starts reconjuring uh, thoughts of Freddy by the older locals of the town. And this gives Freddy rise to uh, reappear in kids' dreams. But as Jason is wont to do, he is not uh, he's not so easily made into an instrument of destruction. And Freddy gets a little bit jealous about the body count that Jason starts piling up. And, of course, this leads to the seminal fight between the two. Oh, boy. Okay. So, so Chris Robo, just want to ask you right off the bat, wh- which side of the line you stand on? Oh, Do you man. like this movie? Well, Are you okay. Team Freddy or Team Jason? That's the real line. <laughs> right, right. That, too. You know what? I'm, I'm not really a team uh, neither, to be honest. I, I like Freddy and I like Jason. I don't know if I'd say equally, but I I don't have a disdain for one or the other. I think that this movie, you know, you guys spoke about Friday the 13th Part 3 and how for so many people that is the Friday the 13th. But when you really go back and look at it, you're like, man, you know, there's some cheesy 3D just for the 3D effects going on in this. And I think it's one of those movies that imprinted itself on people for whatever reason, it has that yeah. 80s feel. And this movie feels the same way to me of people, I think, of um, a certain pedigree or a certain generation, maybe. Like, I think if you're really into comic books, if you're really into video games, if you're really into, <laughs> uh, like, maybe action movies, uh, you know, this movie's going to be your bread and butter. But as far as the, I guess, direct line that I would make to what I like about um, Friday the 13th movies and... Nightmare on Elm Street movies, like the practical effects and um, just the 80s nostalgia, that's completely lost on this film. So I'm sort of <laughs> middle of the road of it. I'm not I don't hate it. I mean, I'm surprised it actually got made. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a I think that it's a uh, wonder in and of itself that this movie even came out. But I think it would have been better if, if it probably came out in 1987 when it was originally mm. conceptualized. But that's that's me. Okay. All right. And uh, thank you. And Willis, I know that you said this is one of your all-time favorite horror films. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, it is. Is is that because you're a Freddy man or what? what is the story there? I'm a Freddy fan through and through because for the longest time, Freddy Krueger was the closest thing we got to the Joker until Jack Nicholson came out with his version of the Joker on the 89 Batman. So... That's why I've always enjoyed Freddy Krueger because of one minute he could be joking with you and the next minute he could be having his claws all down in your back. <laughs> so that's main, one of the reasons why I always enjoy Freddy Krueger. And after the abysmal movie, which we call Friday the 13th, 
Jason goes to hell <laughs> and the promise at the end that we was going to get a Freddy versus Jason movie, you know, it took them almost 10 to 12 years to finally bring it out. But I'm glad they did when they did because the effect, what they wanted to do with the movie, the effects caught up with the time that they could make the movie. So that was kind of cool. And the story was a basic comic book story. The bad, One bad guy uses the other bad guy to do his bidding. And the bad guys turn on each other and you got the innocent people in the middle. And which is always cool. Basically, it's a wrestling heel turn on each other. So that's kind of cool. And they got the right director. Somebody that didn't really have no true passion for Freddie and Jason. So he could be neutral in deciding on making the film. So it didn't seem lopsided. So that was kind of cool, too. And I had to make a correction. It's not Springfield, Ohio. It's Springwood, Ohio. Yeah. Springwood? Yeah, it's Springwood, Ohio. I, mi- I missed that myself, actually. So, But it is on Elm Street, right? We're still dealing with Elm Street in this movie. Yes, yes, we <laughs> of course. is. That's yeah. why they got to Ohio, to New Jersey, as quick as they could. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. There you have it. One last question for you, Willis. So you don't, just to be clear, you don't think it's dumb to to pit Freddy <laughs> against Jason oh in a movie. Well, that's a leading question. I, I just want to make sure. I'm just, well, we had King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> yes. And nobody was complaining about that as old as that movie is. And I'm pretty sure one of them do. in the, the same <laughs> franchise. Or even in the same state with each other. You talking about China, Japan versus U.S. So nobody was fussing about that one. It's always been versus. They had Frankenstein versus the Wolfman and the House of Dracula. And nobody's fussing about them movies. So you shouldn't be trying to insinuate that this movie is stupid because of Freddy versus Jason. This is just something that's been done in Hollywood for many and many a decades. And Dr. Shock can back me up on that. <laughs> it's been done. Yes, it's been done. I mean, you did have a Dracula versus Frankenstein. I think Al Adamson directed that in the very early 70s. So uh, you, you had your mashups. Again, I don't know that everybody's always accepting of those movies, but they have been around. Yep. So do we want, do you guys want, because again, line in the sand here. Do you guys want to see Michael Myers versus Pinhead then? Do you want to see that kind of travesty? No. Okay. <laughs> Not those two characters because it doesn't seem like a good combination. That almost happened in this movie. There was almost a Pinhead cameo at the end of this movie. That was in one of the many, many rewrites of the script of this movie. Interesting. I didn't know that. I would like to see a leprechaun versus Chucky. <laughs> <laughs> now you're talking. Surprising enough, um, what, what is it, Don Mancini? He's been trying to knock around that idea, actually. Are you kidding me? I thought I just made that up. Okay, well. No. <laughs> interesting. He's, he's, jo- he's <laughs> joked about it a couple times on a couple of interviews and a couple of Twitter pages. 
once in a while. So that's something that he is trying to kick around a little bit. I think I think the closest we got into that so far was we had um, uh, Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys from 2004. And also I saw just the other day at a local 7-Eleven, they had uh, Demonic Toys versus Dollman, I believe. Dollman versus Demonic Toys. That's another one. Um, So, yeah, this whole versus concept, I I think the first thing we have to just acknowledge is, okay, well, we're taking a universe where one supernatural being exists and another evil supernatural being exists and we got to be okay with putting those two universes together. And I'm just saying that I'm not okay with that because in the previous episode, Wolfman Josh, very well, he described um, double hocus pocus, that screenwriting term where, you know, you can ask the audience to suspend their disbelief on one aspect. But then when you start giving them other aspects to suspend their disbelief on, then it gets really hard to swallow. And I guess I'm in that camp. Man, Jay. You need to get the plug out your butt. Stop being so anal detective about stuff and just watch the movie and have fun. Well, see, the, the thing is, to me, watching the movies and having fun is a function of me being able to uh, escape into the films and, and, like, let myself enjoy them. But when I have, like, you know, WrestleMania 29 happening with monsters, I'm like... That's kind of dumb to me. I don't know. I mean, Dr. Shock, do you think that's yes. dumb? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go. I'm not going to know if I'm going to say that it's that it's dumb. I don't know that the, the bringing the two monsters together. It, you're right. I mean, they, they brought they brought, you know, uh, Frankenstein and the Wolfman together in the 1940s. So it's not like bringing two monsters together to, you know, from other franchises together, it's not unprecedented. And this is something they had been talking about for a long time. I mean, as, as Chris said, going back to the eighties, they've been talking about doing this. So I don't know that it was a big surprise when it finally came out. I think a lot of people were thinking maybe it would never happen because of how long it took. So I don't know that bringing them together like that is, is necessarily stupid in and of itself. It really depends on what you do with it, you know, once once you get them together. The first time I saw this, I thought it was a little Freddy-centric. Yes. Which I think would make sense. It's New Line, and that really is more their franchise than Friday the 13th was. He gets top billing, in fact. His name is first. Right, yeah. So I, I definitely got, got that feeling from it. Um you know, I don't know that. I, I think I'm. I'm definitely more middle of the road with it. There's. There's some things about it that just. You know, it's kind of like like. Um, you know, we were talking in the very first. I guess we were talking about part two, about Jason somehow getting out to the West Coast. Um, <laughs> you know, to to finish off a character from the first movie. I'd be interested to have seen at least part of his trip to Ohio, to see how he got there. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. You know, and because uh, he because he just sort of uh, appeared there, and, and I didn't realize that you dream when, when you're dead. <laughs> well, he hits the ride with the hockey team. That's all. You know, you yeah. can. Is blend that what that it way. is? Okay. You okay. can totally blend in that way. I don't right. think it's. I don't think it's stupid. I I think like when we talked about Jason X, I um I don't mind the idea of completely separating this from the, the rest of the franchise and just saying this is a standalone film. It's a you know monster mashup. It's you know it's like a monster rally kind of movie. 
a modern version of that. I like that. I like the old Monster Rally movies. You know, we've talked about a couple of them. And I think that the way they implemented uh, Jason into a Freddy Krueger story was clever enough. And, you know, having checked out a couple of the other screenplays that were floating around, it's actually much better than some of the other versions of the script that were out there. This is kind of the best version. What, um, what were or, those, or, Josh? I, I don't remember the specifics of it. It was years ago. But okay. Oh, I have, I have some if you'd like to hear them. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's <laughs> Tell hear it. it. Okay, so there was one where uh, Freddy was a counselor at Camp Crystal Lake. I don't know how that would line up with the whole time frame and storyline. Yeah, As we know, well. it's very consistent in the Friday the 13th franchise. But he molested Jason in camp. That was one. There's another where Freddy was sort of a cult leader type like he was sort of the canon of a cult where basically there was these <laughs> followers called Fredheads who wanted to bring back Freddy and Jason is sort of an anti-hero which he kind of is in this movie as well mm-hmm. where he he's sort of resurrected as an anti-hero to fight Freddy those are mm-hmm. the, the two more popular versions I guess yeah, hmm. interesting I kind of like the first one you said that he was a counselor at Camp Crystal Lake? You well, kidding, not No, I, I assume they meant as, you know, before he became Freddy Krueger, that back in the day and his oh, uh, no, pedophile I, days. Oh, no, I'm assuming that too, but I don't know. I'm assuming the same thing. <laughs> Why is but, this funny? Like, what? I mean, I think that's much more plausible than, hey, let's get Jason out of hell so he can make people afraid of me again. That's no, so and, dumb. And about it that makes sense because what is the first the first pe- the first person that people in that town are going to think of if people start dying in mysterious ways they're going to think of freddie he's trying to be remembered so that's why he's doing that i think that makes more sense than, 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 than making fred krueger a, a counselor who molested a young jason but he was and, a pedophile and, though I'm, I'm, i understand that but there's nothing in any of the friday the 13th that said that ever happened to jason that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. I mean, Maybe did you it explains why Jason ran off into the woods and his mom thought he drowned? <laughs> and, and and I mean, like, Doc, that's funny what you said because, like, did you did you hear about Jason's uh, first day of school? I mean, did you hear about his Christmas parties? I mean, did you did you hear about anything until he died? I mean, were there so much of his previous life before no, he died no, that we don't know right, about? You're right. It did probably it probably makes sense that he would be molested by a camp counselor who was far too old to be a counselor at the camp. But never mind. Well, who, that was uh, another then thing I was going to say. Like uh, it it came out and like that was fifty three, right? When right. Jason died. So yeah, and the original Friday Thirteenth came out in a eighty, right? Nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, Nightmare came out in eighty, so he would have been thirty then. Like I, the time frame doesn't match at all. No, it does, it does it doesn't match at all. Not well, that, the continuity. Well, he was at camp in fifty seven, drowns in fifty seven, so that might match. Actually, that might work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I thought it was fifty three for some reason, but then again, I thought it was Springfield because Sam Simon just died. So, <laughs> well, I know. Yeah, I mean, well, I actually was, like I mean, that. When was Freddie? I mean, Freddie wasn't around in the fifties. No, he was doing this stuff in the um, late seventies, early eight, about the early eighties when he was doing his child killing. The one last thing on that, it also speaks to his mother's rage toward camp counselor and his general mission of killing camp counselors, especially sexually promiscuous ones. 
I, I have nothing, Jason. Let's stick to the movie at hand here. Yeah, but I, I, have, I have nothing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to kind of let this yeah, one go yeah, by. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome to submit a script. There was only like 13 or 18 or something that were submitted. Maybe they'll, they'll consider yours as well. It's <laughs> funny. Okay, so where? Go ahead, Josh. Sorry, we I derailed it. Oh no, I mean I really didn't have much else to say. I, I like the idea of like a monster rally picture. It's fun. I I don't mind the idea that it's disconnected from the franchise. I just don't happen to enjoy this one very much. Okay. Well, Chris Robo, so tell us more about your thoughts on it then. I mean, do you think it was well done? Was it well executed? Um, I just think that the things that I like about the two franchises respectively are sort of abandoned in this film for a more populist view of, of I guess, the contemporary time. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't feel I feel no Tom Savini in this. I feel no Dream Warrior esque uh, special effects in this. There's a lot of shortcuts taken as far as with with CGI being used. And, uh, and Jason is like comically strong in this. He's throwing people across the woods, probably like a mile across the woods. <laughs> um, the Freddy makeup in this doesn't look at all reminiscent of any of the previous freddies it it looks it looks bad yes a point where he looks like a demon for no reason ronnie Wu, he is like a kung fu director and you can see that in this there's a matrix-esque scene where freddy jumps out of the water and you get that matrix slow multi-pan scan uh where it looks like a moment in time it's just it just it feels very I guess 2000 or like, and it did come out in 2003. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing because that's, it's a hallmark of the time. But as far as it just, I, there was a potential to do a nod to both of the franchises. And I just don't think any of that was really achieved with this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't think it's an abysmal movie or anything. It's, it's watchable. It's just not in my particular wheelhouse. I got you. So, Willis, tell us more about why you love it then. I went to see this movie the first day it came out. This was the first time I ever went to a movie where it was packed and everybody in the movie was acting like they was at the Mike Tyson fight. (laughs) (laughs) With Freddy versus Jason, the last, the main event at the end of the movie... All you hear the people like, look at Freddy, Freddy kicking Jason's ass. Yeah, man, Jason suck. He can't beat no Freddy, whatever. Man, people was yelling at the screen and everything. That was the most fun I ever had at the movie theater watching a horror movie. And it seemed like you don't get horror movies like that at the horror movies no more where people are just enjoying watching the movie. I think the last time I went to see a horror movie where people was enjoying it, was the um, Evil Dead remake because it it had that same excitement as Freddy versus Jason. So Willis. I was just what? Sorry, I, I just I'm telling you the truth when I, and I'm saying this sincerely. I'm not trying to start trouble. The last time that I encountered people having that much fun at a horror movie was during Insidious Chapter 2. No lie, they loved it in my theater. Man, I'm just saying. About that trash. I know you hate it, but I just I had to say that's really happened. It was yeah. so weird. But 
But but there is something about that when the when the whole audience is like really into a film. It I mean, really adds to the experience. It yes, really does. Yeah. Yes, it does. So I yeah. give you that, Willis. So you were you were obviously rooting for Freddie because you're a Freddie man, right? Yeah. Well, I look at it like this: I'm rooting for Freddie, but both of them is dead. So as soon as the movie over, both of them are gonna come back and start killing anyway. It's basically what Freddie's whole purpose was: the movie to get people to think about him again, and he basically won the fight because. He did what he wanted to do, come back. People remember Freddy Krueger again. So that's basically his whole gist of the movie. That's why he was winking at the end of the movie. Oh, God. That (laughs) flipping wink. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about that, Chris. What would you think of that wink? Oh, I don't know how explicit I can get, but I felt like my balls crawling into my stomach when I saw that (laughs) wink. It just felt like... It felt like a really, uh, I don't know, an affront. I just didn't. Uh, so cheesy. Is yeah, that- it felt like frosting on the. Yeah, it felt like frosting on the crap cake. Was it one of those <laughs> things where, um, you know, somebody does something and they're totally embarrassing themselves and they don't seem to perceive that, but you feel embarrassed for them? Was it one of those kind of experiences? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That and the uh, the CGI caterpillar busting out the <laughs> water bong too. That was. I also felt that <laughs> same feeling. Oh, that's funny. Okay. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've revisited the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, but I don't remember uh, Freddie saying the B word that much i mean he was like jesse pinkman in this from uh breaking bad i mean you haven't paid attention to the nightmare elm street movies because that's his favorite word to say i just said i haven't watched them in a while so you're saying that he says that all the time like every every five words he says Not every five words but in the movie if you watch um three on you get at least about 10 or 15 of them. Okay, okay. All right, well, that's good to know then. So I guess that's consistent. <laughs> but Willis, did you agree with uh, Chris Robo? Because I, I wholeheartedly agreed with the fact that that doesn't really look like Freddy in this film. The makeup is much different from what I remember in the earlier Well, ones. if you watch every Nightmare Elm Street movies, none of the Freddy makeups are the same. Each of them look different. I think this is one of the better looking Freddy's compared to maybe part five and four. I didn't care too much for the makeup and Freddy on those two. I think the best he ever looked was in part two to me in my eyes. That's the scariest he ever looked in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Okay. Well, how about this question then? Just curious because I bet you guys will know this. Do you think that this was the most blood we've seen from Jason? Because it is a pretty bloody movie. I feel like the censors let it go, considering how many of the other Friday the 13th was chopped to hell by the NPA. <laughs> right. So, especially since they knew that they was going to actually put some money behind this movie. And this movie is actually... The highest grossing out of all the Nightmare Elm Streets and the Friday the 13th movies. Is that right? I didn't know that. Wow. So it must have been the synergy of putting the two monsters together in that (laughs) versus. Yep. Oh, boy. 
It also had a huge marketing budget. It had I think the marketing budget was higher than like <laughs> the budget for all the Friday the 13th movies before, previous to this combined. Wow. <laughs> My goodness. So do you guys think we'll ever see anything like this again? Do you think they'll ever do another Freddy versus Jason? Well, they were mm. talking about doing the Ash one with Ash, right? Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. They mm. never came out. They basically turned it into a two series comic books because Sam Raimi wouldn't let them do what they wanted to do with Ash. So they just canned it and turned the script into a comic book series. And it was a pretty interesting comic book series. They basically bought back the Ghost of Nancy. They bought Tommy Jarvis. They bought um, Freddy Krueger's daughter into it. They bought Alice and her son into it. And basically it was Freddy fighting to get the Necronomicon that was in Jason Goes to Hell and to bring an army of deadites so he could take over. So that was basically one of the storylines to that comic book, and it was fighting in Washington, D.C., of all places. Of course. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm really... <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you guys, guys think of the way Jason looked in this? I like the look because it made sense with the way he, he was black because, Ronnie, you said the reason why he was so black was because he was laying down for so long and basically the blood had rushed to his head so that's why they had him looking black okay yeah, i liked his look too it was a little distracting for me at the beginning in that flashback sort of scene there or in that dream sequence i guess hmm. why didn't you like his look chris what was it about it i just didn't think that ken uh Krizika played him very well he play, he I mean I think that that's more of a problem with direction. He was directed to play Jason as a very slow and lumbering and he almost feels I think that that speaks to his character in this that he's you're supposed to have some kind of like maybe sympathy for him because he feels uh he just feels slow and lumbering and well it's like ah uh, Jason or excuse me Freddie's jumping around him like Yoda and <laughs> one of the <laughs> in one of the star wars prequels you know he's like doing part. acrobatics and jumping around like the cgi yoda and jason's just sort of slow and lumbering and i think that that's supposed to play to your sympathies like well he's doing his best if he gets a hold of him he'll <laughs> look at what he does to these humans he knocks them half across the forest so if he can actually get a hold of them yeah I, i'm not a fan of the way that he portrayed him. And I'm also not a fan. I think you guys spoke about this in previous uh, iterations of the series. You can really see his eyes a lot in this and the expression and the expression yeah. looks very gentle giant or dolt. Like a, he looks like a dolt in this, even <laughs> right. though he's doing horrific things. I think that it's playing up to that, to that sympathy. Oh, and one thing I wanted to add, Jay, you had said in, uh, mm -hmm. in Jason goes to hell that it would have been cool if conceptually Jason had fought Satan and there was in some of the spec scripts, there was scenes where uh, Satan nice. was going to appear. Nice. So, Interesting. But it was the CGI was apparently too expensive. So well, that's why they didn't. 
they didn't go into it. Yeah, they well, just thanks. put all the other crappy CGI in there. <laughs> right, right. Well, thanks for telling me that. I didn't know that, but I mean, yeah. If you if you have a title like Jason Goes to Hell, then then obviously that's what's because if you said Jason Goes to Elm Street, what are you gonna think? Or Freddy Goes to Camp Crystal Lake, what are you gonna think is going to ensue? Right. I mean, so it just seems obvious. Right. But I'm glad you brought up the bouncing around. Uh, that is the low point for me in this movie. It's actually a fairly well-made movie, I have to say. I mean, it looks pretty decent, and I was okay with, you know, the gore and stuff. I mean, but that bouncing around stuff, I mean, Freddy kind of bugs me anyway, and I'm sorry to Freddy fans out there. I don't love Freddy because because of his the jokey nature of him. You know, I think he would be like 10 times scarier and freakier if he were just a deadly, serious pedophile creep. And they did that in the remake, and nobody liked the remake. So I dang. liked it. I liked it, brother. Well, we, so. we know you got issues anyway, so you don't count. <laughs> okay, well, here's what I final question, and then we'll start to wrap this up. Here's the thing, and you guys can, you'll probably fight with me on this. But honestly, even though we are reviewing this during the Friday the 13th franchise, I think that technically, I I believe that this movie belongs more with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise just because I think it is a Freddy story. It opens with him narrating. I mean, we hear about his his story and his plan, and I think it's a Freddy or, you know, it's a Freddy story, but the only reason we're reviewing it at least as far as I'm concerned, during this franchise is because we ended up doing this one first. It's got both the monsters in it. If we had done Nightmare franchise first before this one, then I think we would probably would have reviewed the film during that. But I think technically it belongs with the other franchise. What do you guys say? Well, I mean, it is part of... Now, I'm not sure if it's part of any uh, four-pack with the Friday the 13th, but it is part of the four-pack of like the... You know the new nightmare, and and um, you know the of um, the the last four movies or the last three movies in the Nightmare on Elm Street, and it's this is the fourth movie in that pack. So they did package it with the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, again, I, I don't know if they packaged it with any of the Friday the Thirteenth as well. I don't think they could have because New Line only made three of them. So yeah. <laughs> okay, what were you gonna say, Josh? I was just going to say, you know, Roger Ebert, when he's like ripping on Jason about the guy who doesn't speak, you know, you know, never hear him. Like, I, I think that's the problem with the pairing. I mean, I think that's a reason that it feels like Freddie's movie is he's so charismatic and he's talking all the time and he's joking around and he's jumping around. And, you know, Jason doesn't doesn't do much generally in his in his film. So, I mean, I think it I think it is representative of Jason's character, I guess, although. It doesn't feel like a Jason movie very much. Yeah. Well, that makes you feel better to hear you guys say that. Because I just think we should kind of sweep this over in the Nightmare on Elm Street camp and not really consider it. Because we got enough problems over here on the Friday the 13th camp with, you know, Jason goes to hell and Jason X. Just saying. One thing that always did bother me a little bit was, you know, when he when um, Jason does show up and he does have that first kill, not the kill itself. I thought that was, you know, like it, it. you know, gory. It was surprisingly bloody. I guess the MPA. I don't know if they were, you know, sort of uh, you know, lightening up a bit with that. But where did he go after that? You know, he sort of disappeared, which is a little sort of uh, not really characteristic of Jason. He took out one teen, 
left four sort of alive to go running out into the street to look for help. Yeah. You know, I can understand why Freddie wanted him to sort of put a scare into everybody. That, that part of it made sense. But I just didn't get why he just sort of bypassed three of them downstairs, went upstairs, killed one, and then where did he go? You know, that's not really Jason-like. Yeah, unless he's in New York. Then he just... You know, you know, he lets well, everybody go. New York, right? He'll take unless pictures for people, and that's true. So I guess it's not unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but no, uh, you've brought it up a couple times tonight, Doctor Shock, and um, I'm sorry to our guests that I'm just yapping so much. Uh, forgive me. Uh, I'm gonna turn it over to you guys in a second for final thoughts. But I just want to say one last thing, Doc. You mentioned a couple times that this movie seems to have slipped by the end. MPAA. And I think this might be a stretch, but my theory is this came out in 2003. It was probably, you know, edited or rated during late 2002, early 2003. And I wonder if, you know, having been so close to 9-11, usually when something catastrophic happens like that in a culture, it we see it in art and it affects art. And I just wonder if like the downtrodden cynicism almost let this type of thing slip through because if you think about the horror at that time like in 2002 we got 28 days later which is a pretty hardcore full-on gory mm-hmm. you know and so i just wonder if if it was just kind of a reflection of the mood why this film ended up slipping through whereas they would pick on the other friday the 13th related movies well, uh, you could very well have a point i'm not i'm not sure i haven't really looked into it but yeah, yeah that's a strong possibility i i got a theory What's that? Wasn't Kill Bill around the same time as this? And that <laughs> yeah, it was. Just, just as bloody as this, uh, even more bloodier than, than this movie. So I guess. Yes, Kill Bill was, was, was right around that time. You're right. So I guess mm. because of that movie, they were like, if they can have that, you, they probably said, y'all can't cut this too much because y'all let Kill Bill get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that's a neat theory. Okay, well, let's let's wrap up with our final ratings and recommendations on this. And I want to kick it off with our main man from Rotten Rantings, Chris Robo. Tell us. I think that Willis made a pretty good connection there with Kill Bill. I think, uh, I mean, I like Kill Bill, but Kill Bill is a lot more practical. But this does sort of feel in that wheelhouse where it's sort of kung fu inspired, <laughs> wrestling inspired, maybe... <laughs> uh comic book inspired it's it's got an air of levity to it and if you can if that's your wheelhouse and those are the kind of things that you're into i think that this movie will also appeal to you if you're looking at this as kind of like the pinnacle of well these two franchises are finally meeting together and we're going to get the best of both worlds i don't think you're going to get that uh, you're going to get a lot of wire work and CGI and one-liners and things like that, which may not line up with your perspective on it. It's yeah. Is it a terrible movie? No, it's not. It's not a terrible movie. Am I glad? You know, do I hate it or do I think it's abysmal? No, I don't. Um, I'm glad that it exists, but it just seems like a missed opportunity. Okay. So what do you say for your number rating out of 10? Okay, so... On Rod Rantings, we say like a five. Well, like a four point five is basically like, uh, like I'd say you can rent it, but I wouldn't really watch this. So, what's your, 
what's your guys' rating? Because I, you know, Jay, you give like movies, you'll like you'll give a movie a shining review, and then uh, y'all hear you say like, "This is a six. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he called you on that one. He no, called what, you on that what one. he described it exactly correctly. Yeah, like a six is a is a good rental to me. I mean, a yeah. six is good for me. I mean, personally, but because the way I look at it. The way that we do our our ratings is basically a five is like sort of well actually I'd say a four point five is kind of like bottom of the barrel rental like eh I probably wouldn't watch this but you know people that might like this would watch it you know and then uh you know like a seven point five is right before a buy yeah so does that sound about right yeah that's how that's yeah. actually how I feel too okay so then in, in that respect I'll I guess I'll give this a five because to me a five is just like a rent. I'm not going to say it's a 4.5 and say, because for me, that's like, well, this is a rent. But if, you know, if this is your thing, even though it's not really in my wheelhouse, I don't, I'm not offended by this movie or the fact that it exists. I'm not going to say that I was mad other than the wink that did, <laughs> that did make, <laughs> give me some feelings. But I, I think it's, it's a rental. It's just not, uh, it's. It's not my cup of tea. There's a lot of exposition going on in this. There's a lot of bad acting and uh, wire work and CGI and all the bravado that goes with it. I'm not sure if it's exactly my thing, but, uh, you know, when you when you when you get to the nuts and bolts of it, it's like, well, what I guess what did you expect from this (laughs) from this movie, especially at this time? Right, right. Okay, well, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. And uh, what about you, Wolfman Josh? What do you say? Yeah, I think Chris put it well initially when he just said this is a middle-of-the-road film. I I think um, I don't have a lot to say about it because it's not terrible and it's not great, in my opinion. I think it it is kind of what I expect when I see these two characters and, um, and in that time frame, as Chris said. So I think um, I don't know that I have anything original to say about it. Honestly, I think if you're a Freddy Krueger fan, you may enjoy this more than if you're uh, primarily a Jason fan um, for some of the reasons we've talked about, but also because um, it does feel more like it's his movie. Uh, And I don't think the Jason fans are going to walk away feeling like they've seen a, a great installment of the Friday the 13th franchise. Having said that, I do like that. It's just kind of the standalone oddity. Um, I think it's fun in that way. So I, I mean, I think it's watchable. It's not my kind of movie. It's a five for me as well. And a rental. Okay. Five out of 10 rental. And what do you say, Dr. Shock? It, it's funny because that I, five was the number I came up with too. Um, watching it. I mean, it, it does what, you expect it to do and and i did kind of like the storyline they went with as to why freddie was going to get jason you know to do i guess uh recruit jason to go to elm street i I didn't have a problem with that and you know and hey it's got Catherine isabel in it too that's always going to be a plus for me as well um (laughs) it is more of a freddie movie i really do feel that um and as such, I mean, I and I and I'm not a. I don't dislike the the um, Nightmare on Elm Street series at all. I just think, um, as a series, I think it's a little more hit and miss than even some of the other ones. I mean, every movie, every series has its bad entries. Every every series has its you know classics. Um, but that's just sort of how I view Nightmare, the Nightmare on Elm Street series. 
this pretty much does what you were expecting, and I wasn't expecting to be uh, really blown away by it, but it was, you know, it, it had its moments. Um, so, yeah, five, I'd say it was right in the middle of the road, and I'd say it's a rental. Okay. All right, thank you. And, yeah, for me, this is a four out of ten. I call it an avoid. I think it's novel, you know, to see the two monsters fight, but I don't like to do that. I mean, I was the kind of kid that, um, for example... And and I know that Willis called me out earlier and said I was kind of uptight, and I think that's true. I think you're right about that. Like, you know, if I if I were playing, like, G.I. Joe's when I was little, I'm always talking about toys on this podcast for some reason, then I wouldn't like to blend that with my He-Man universe toys. I mean, that bugs me, and and I'm just, I don't know, like... I don't really mix food on my plate either. I'm just not, I don't like mixing things. <laughs> so, you know, this is kind of dumb to me, but I, I will say it's not done terribly. It's actually pretty well done. It's uh, it's a good looking movie. It's fairly convincing as far as that goes. Like, like the effects are decent, but like the Freddy jumping around thing. And then you get the character. I mean, Willis quoted uh, at the beginning of the show, he quoted the character when when she's talking back to Freddy and just doing all this smack talk to him, trying to provoke him and stuff. And then Jason takes her out. Like, I hate that scene. It's like, I like for people to be afraid of the monsters. If they're mocking the monsters, then they're no longer a monster. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just like some kind of they're not a threat to the characters and if my characters in my horror movies are not threatened how am i supposed to feel threatened and so like that irks me four out of ten avoid what do you say willis all i got to say i'm gonna quote the great bill shady man what is wrong with you guys <laughs> <laughs> well the bump jason's theories off we had Spider-Man versus Superman. We had He-Man versus Superman. We had all the Marvel comics versus DC comics. We had Green Hornet versus Batman on the TV show. We had Godzilla and King Kong fighting each other. So, and we even had G.I. Joe versus Transformers in the comic book many of the times. So, you can go ahead with that mess right there. Dude, we're talking about movies right now. Well, I'm bringing up pop culture, and this is part of pop culture. So <laughs> it's a precedent, and it happened. So you can't get mad about that. It's no fun. So this movie is what every Freddy and Jason fan wanted with Jay talking about Freddy jumping around. It was established in the Dream Master that Freddy did have Kung Fu because he was doing Kung Fu at the end when he was fighting Alice. So that's something that's already been established with the character. So you can't really say that because the people that actually wrote the story actually went through the movie. So, And I can understand why y'all say it's too hokey and this and that. Well, considering this Freddy that does a bunch of jokes, and how can you establish Jason when Jason doesn't talk at all? So Freddy would be doing all the talking for the movie, so yeah. that's just in hate 
in the nature of the characters that we have. So, but to me, this movie will always be a 10. I say Whoa. you should have it in the collection. It is one of the funnest horror movies you can watch. You can just, anytime I come home on, you can just have fun watching it. And I'm not a stickler like everybody else because y'all seem not to know how to have fun with your movies no more. I don't know. Maybe it's old age setting in, but I ain't let my old age creep in on me. So this this movie is just the fun, fun movie. And I can't wait until they have when the new Friday the 13th Part 2 remake come out. You know we're going to see a box set with Freddy and Jason all in one package together so they could get people's money like they did with the Halloween set. And half of them movies aren't even worth even watching. It's maybe like two or three good ones out of the Halloweens and that's it. So I have more fun with Friday. I have more fun with Friday the 13th and Nightmare Elm Street than Halloween any day. So I say watch it. You can get it out the five dollar bin at the Walmart, so you can't lose no money with it. So <laughs> that's my final review of Freddy's vs. Jason, and that's the bottom line because I said so. <laughs> Doctor Shock, this is all your fault. Why is that? What do you mean? Because we have we have Willis Wheeler here telling us off after this manner, saying that Freddy can be a bouncing kung fu master because you said he can't be a camp counselor, so. Oh. Just saying. <laughs> I didn't say he couldn't be a camp counselor. I just thought that that was a little silly. That plot line was was ludicrous. But bouncing yeah. kung fu masters more believable, huh? Well, he's, he's it's more believable, I think, in the Freddy universe. <laughs> all right. <That's... laughs> Josh, how's your blood pressure right now after all that Halloween? <laughs> yeah, Josh, tell it. What's that? It, Willis was dissing on the Halloween franchise. How how you feel about that? Somehow I missed that. <laughs> he, see, he, guys, he disassociated it. He he didn't even it didn't even register. He shut it out, right. Willis. It was much like the Freddy uh, counselor rape. He totally uh, blanked it out of his it mind. out of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny because I was listening to the the last episode too when Bill Shetty was talking about how was asking me about between Halloween Five and uh, and Friday the Thirteenth. I totally didn't even hear him say that. I don't know. I, I must be blocking out during this podcast. Okay. <laughs> That's understandable. All right. Well, I'm, I'm so grateful to our two special guests that came on to help us review Freddy versus Jason. And uh, before we send them off to bed, because you're both on the East Coast, so I know it's very late there. Um, Chris Robo, would you mind telling the listeners where they can hear more of your podcasting with Katie Rotz? All right. Well... If you so choose to continue hearing the words that come out of my mouth, you may <laughs> you may go to RottenRantings.com. We're on uh, iTunes and Stitcher, of course. Uh, you can follow me at RottenRobo on Twitter, and you can email me, RottenRantingsRobo at gmail.com. And, hey, thanks for having me on, guys. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. We hope you'll come back someday. I hope you're willing after this Absolutely. experience. Yeah, I'm, I am. I am willing. If you guys are willing to have me, yes, sir, absolutely. And you, would you be willing to bring Katie Rotz with you? That's the real question. Probably not, right? Of course, no. Of course. <laughs> good, good, good. 
No, I know you were. She's probably, she's probably a little ticked off. She didn't get to talk about Friday the 13th. She's probably <laughs> secretly jealous and mad at me. But well, <laughs> I, I'm a huge fan of hers. I think she's a blast. She's a lot of fun. So uh, send our love to her. And Willis, tell us where everybody can catch up with you, you Freddy fan. Well, you can text me on the world famous Terrachute podcast, of course. You can check me on the two drink minimum commentaries where we just release um, commentaries for Megaforce and also the honor, the late, great Leonard Nimoy. We did Transforms the movie 86, the cartoon version, the best version out of all the Transformers movies ever made. And of course, one of my other favorite podcasts I'm on, the No F Away Commentaries. We're going to have a Friday the 13th being released this Friday for Friday the 13th. I believe we're going to release part six. I'm I'm thinking that's the one that we're going to bring out that we did recently. <laughs> so look for that soon. And, of course, come to my Twitter page, Nasty Will DC, and my YouTube page, Wildman Willis. And I also have a Patreon page, so... If you want to help me out, support doing my YouTube page, you can donate. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. So you guys have a good night and uh, come back and see us again. Okay. And at this point, it's uh, very late on the East Coast and Dr. Shock needs to take off because he's got to get up in just like probably 30 minutes or something crazy like that. So uh, Dr. Shock, why don't you give the listeners your plugs for this episode? Absolutely. Just um, same as they always are. Check me out at dvdinfatuation.com. Uh, over Twitter, it's at dvdinfatuation. Uh, and I'm also on the Land of the Creeps uh, podcast. Check me out there, it's, which is landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. Uh, and um, that's it. Thank you very much. And you know what? It's I will throw this out there. The, um, the new line entries in the Friday the 13th series, which is not really technically Friday the 13th. They couldn't use that title. They really do make you long for the first group of films, the first eight movies that uh, that came out, because you really do sort of miss that, uh, yes. the feel, the feel of, uh, of those films. You know, uh, just I don't think New Line, I don't think they ever really cared about Friday the 13th other than the Freddy versus Jason that they eventually wanted to do. And I think you could kind of see that with the way that they they handle the character. Um, and it's it's unfortunate, but it seems like now again, you guys will be going to be talking about the remake. So uh, have fun. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We will. All right. And at this point in episode 46 of Horror Movie Podcast, I still have Wolfman Josh here with me, my good buddy. And we're going to bring on another special guest. This is a different co-host. But he's also a co-host on the Sci-Fi Podcast. We welcome back. Well, we call him a few different things now. He has a few different podcasting monikers. Um, Josh, which one is he going to go by tonight? Do you know? On the horror movie podcast, on the three times I believe he's been on, it's been Kill Bill Kill. So. Okay. <laughs> this is William Rowan Jr. for the rest of you. Hey, well, guys. Welcome, sir. And on the Sci-Fi Podcast, you're known as Solo, right? Yeah, William Solo Jr. or just Solo. That's right. That's very good. All right. And that's because you sing by yourself on that show sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's because I fly solo when I'm podcasting. It's me against them. So, 
Well, we all know it. It, it dates back to Harrison Ford in some awesome way. You actually kind of look like a young Harrison Ford back in the day when he was Han Solo. I wish that was true so bad, but it's not. No, I'm I'm being serious. I, I kind of think that a little bit. The reason I wanted William to be our guest on this episode is because I found out that he really has never seen a Friday the 13th film. Is that correct? Well, I know, <laughs> I, I know that Friday the 13th can also be called Black Friday and is considered an unlucky day. Is pretty much what I got going. <laughs> <laughs> yes, from Wikipedia, right? <laughs> yeah. Well done. Right. So, I, I mean, I thought it would be interesting since this is a remake to say, okay, what if a brand new viewer to this franchise came in First shot out of the box, the only thing that they know about Friday the 13th, how would they view this film as opposed to those of us who have now just trudged through all these other movies through, what, 11 other movies at this point? And I, I do want to add, I have seen the very first Friday the 13th when I was, it, it could have been early in high school, on television, in parts. So I do, I, I mean, I, I kind of know that it's, you know, a, a slasher movie. I know a couple things, but I have no memory of anything specific. I don't know any motivation, backstory. I don't know who's who. I wouldn't know any homages and anything that we're going to cover today. I would have no idea. It's all, it was all brand new to me. The when, when I saw what we saw, I just saw it as a standalone film. Didn't know anything about what was going on. So let me ask wow. you this. Um, Kind of, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about this franchise and how iconic it is in pop culture. I'm interested, for someone who hasn't really seen the movies, how familiar are you with Jason Voorhees and the K-K-K-Mama and all those things that to us seem iconic? Are, are those just totally over your head? You've never really heard of them? Or were they were they something that were kind of around even though you hadn't seen the films? Well, you know, I, you, you know the listeners may or may not know I actually have worked in film. I've seen a lot of films. So even if you don't see a franchise, you you know like the silhouette icon usually, like a hockey mask. I know that's a thing. I know a guy wears it. I don't know anything else though. I know that that sound you just made, well done, is from this movie. And I'm assuming it's when he's <laughs> hunting. I'm, I'm just guessing. And <laughs> I've seen it in many spoofs. So I've heard it in many spoof movies or... You know, like, like Naked Gun movie. I don't even know where I've heard it, but uh, I know it's from this franchise, but i that's about it. I don't know where it came from or what inspired it. I, don't, I, I know way more about Halloween than I know about this franchise. Mm-hmm. But you've seen all the Halloween movies. Most of them. Well, yeah, well, that would make sense. I see. Okay. That's very interesting. So uh, yeah, I'm really glad, Wolfman, that you got him on here for this because it will be cool to hear his approach. And so for the horror fans out there, now sometimes, I'm not accusing our audience of this, of course, Josh, but sometimes horror fans will be really hard on a person, especially if they're, you know, put in front of them to review a horror film and, <laughs> and, they, have, and they have zero experience or understanding of the franchise. They're not true horror fans or they don't get it or whatever but i would submit if anybody out there feels that way right at this moment i think that william rowan jr here is a perfect guest for this because as you said it's going to be really interesting to hear how this hits him and we we older guys who are like 
what, late 40s and up. Some of us are in our, well, sorry, late 30s. I'm 38. (laughs) And some of us are in our 40s (laughs) for most of the people we have on this show usually. But um, a lot of times we'll wonder or speculate, you know, how the younger generation receives these remakes and how they like them. And then when they go back and revisit the originals and so forth and blah, blah, blah. So this is going to be a fun review. I'm really happy that you're here, William. And and I I can say, you know, maybe I can or cannot take criticism, but I guess if, if you can attempt to say, or have a point of view, like I'm going, I'm, I'm tried really hard to review and think about what was happening. I'm, this is all in good fun. I I think it's all in good spirits. So I'm not, you know, there, I I don't know why you would aggressively make fun of me, but I guess it, <laughs> <laughs> well, if, that, I, I if mean, you feel better. <laughs> what I would say is this movie is made for a new audience. Yes, it is. And so, what well, that's perfect. We have a new audience member to tell us what how this strikes them. That to me, that's all we need to know. It's not totally like he doesn't. Agree. It's not like he hasn't ever seen a horror movie or isn't good at dissecting movies in general. So it'd be one thing if it was just someone who didn't like movies. But um, in fact, well, I would classify William as a, as a horror fan. I mean, I don't think he's like hardcore and that's all he watches is horror. But I I consider him a horror I'm, fan personally. I'm definitely a horror fan. Yes. 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 But, Maybe not to a hardcore horror fan. That's, I guess, what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, in this community, sometimes these distinctions need to be made. <laughs> sure. So, anyways. All right. Well, with having said that, now everybody's all primed and ready. Let's move into our feature review of Friday the 13th from 2009. The counselors weren't paying attention. Okay, now in a moment, I'm going to see if William Rowan Jr. would mind giving us um, the premise to this. But before he does, I'd like to go on a little personal sharing time here. So in 2009, when this came out, I had a job at a newspaper back east. And I actually had a paying job where I wrote movie reviews for a newspaper. Yes, they appeared in print. And the only reason I say that like that and make a big deal out of it is that's a very rare thing now. And that's, you know, it was my favorite job I ever had, obviously, because I love being a film critic. And so I had the opportunity to review Friday the 13th, this particular remake right here, which is so exciting. Now, mind you, it was a mini review, as it were, um, but I still reviewed the film. And I was writing for a general audience, so I just want to point that out as well and one thing that excites me about revisiting what I wrote here because I have the newspaper in front of me is that I pointed out I think one flaw to the Friday the 13th or any kind of established horror franchise especially the slasher subgenre which by the way I love slashers everybody everybody knows that but I do think that in terms of A slasher's ability to generate suspense, I think sometimes that is undercut by by the omnipotence or, yeah, the powerfulness of the monster we know 
the monster is going to kill the victim. And so I, I, I say that here in the review. So let's, if I may, just read this. I wrote, anyone who's ever cringed while unwrapping a can of crescent rolls, <laughs> waiting for it to pop open, understands what makes scary movies scary. The anxiety that something bad might happen. But knowing with certainty that disaster will occur is much less intriguing. So having an unstoppable killer preying upon doomed victims undermines suspense. Hence, Friday the 13th isn't as scary as we might hope. And though it's not exactly a remake of the 1980 version, this new movie recycles much of the original premise. And I won't, I'll turn it over at this point here to William Rowan Jr. to give us the premise to this film. Okay, I will do my best. So what my eyeballs saw was, I believe, maybe sometime in the late 70s or 80s, a while ago, you had uh, <laughs> some a camp out in the forest, you know, like a, they, they, I don't even know if these exist anymore, you know, like a, a camp that you would go away to for a week while you were... Summer camp. Summer camps, yeah. Do they exist, guys? Yes. Oh. I attended summer camps when I was a youth. I, oh, I went cool. to scout camp. Um, it was a, something we haven't talked about yet on the show, but I, I loved it. Spent so much time out in the woods and canoes and swimming in the lake. And I'm you know, really glad that I didn't have all these images in my head when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I missed out, I guess. I don't, yeah, I, I didn't go to a camp like that, but um, you've got this cold open right from the get go where in this case, they, you know, the storytellers, you come in real late and you've got a really upset mother at these camp leaders. And I think it's because they did something that caused her young son to be deformed or they neglected him. I'm not sure, but she's really mad about it. <laughs> and, um, and it ends very badly, very badly to where the mother ends up um, killed. I think she was killing. Uh, it didn't, I mean, it only shows this mother confronting, I think the last survivor of the, of these camp leaders. I'm not sure. Cause it, it didn't really, I don't think it showed it, but anyway, in the, the young boy witnessed this, the, like the little mini Quasimodo, um, in the woods, <laughs> saw saw what happened. Anyway, then it jump cuts right to maybe 30, 40 years later. I'm not sure. Um, maybe 30 years. And then it shows these kids who are just messing around. I think they're looking for some pot. And they find themselves coming upon this now closed, boarded up uh, campsite. And, of course, the little Quasimodo is no longer little Quasimodo. He's a, he's a bigger, scary dude. And, um, and I thought we were into the movie, guys. So what I'm po pointing out is, is uh, he is very upset about what happened to his mother. And anyone who comes near him is going to get it. And I think that's the premise of this film. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. Let's, so, Josh, I think it would be funny and fun to kind of uh, like unpack like each section maybe. Or, or at least where it's relevant, like because clearly this opening is is really made from what we heard from William, who's a very astute a film viewer, by the way. I mean, this this opening is clearly made just to establish kind of the backstory and demonstrate to us the the scene that basically happens at the end of the original movie, which is where Jason's mother has finished slaughtering almost all of the camp counselors. Oh, she did. Okay. Yeah, because because what happened in the original film was they were making love, and because they were being negligent, her son drowned in the lake. 
And so like all the way like died. Well, at that point, <laughs> as far as we know, that's what we understand. And that, okay, well, and in this cold open, this he, film. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, but but anyway, so yeah, in this opening, I mean, it's almost like they they wanted to get that established and out of the way, and they just say to the audience, "Okay, you guys, you know this story. Here's where we are in this point in the story." Is that what you say, Wolfman? Well, I would say this is the physicalization of the campfire story we hear in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Yes. Basically, at the beginning of Friday the 13th, part two, the, the lead uh, camp counselor the, who's training the other counselors tells this ghost story around the campfire about Jason and, and the backstory and tells us all of these things that we're, we see in this film. I do think it's interesting for that William uh, didn't have that background, and so it was confusing. That is interesting because, um, obviously, for those of us who have seen the film, this is just... It's so obvious what's happening here. I did think it was very clever. I liked the way they combined. Because, you know, you hear they're going to remake Friday the 13th, and you see Jason, you wonder what that's going to entail. And I do like that they are able to fit pieces of the first, second, third, and fourth film all in to this one. And that, that was exciting to me as a viewer and starting right, right off the bat with that. Yes. With that first movie, though, although actually it's starting with the second movie because it's oh. taking the lore of the second film and um, physicalizing it. As Jason well, said, as far as we know in the first movie, Jason actually drowned. Mm-hmm. So, yes. okay, I was really confused because um, are you saying, because there's a second cold open that I was completely confused about, and I'll tell you why. In fact, I thought to myself, and I was almost kind of yelling to the TV, I'm like, hey, Tuscan Raider guy, you need to slow down. There's there's still a lot of movie left, and you've just killed almost everyone. And I was like, "How? What's going to happen?" So, um, are you saying that they're kind of homaging the second original movie as a second cold open? There. Well, no, actually, the interesting thing about the first film is that it also has a double cold open. It has the uh, the classic horror movie cold open where we have the prior evil murders, and then it has. Um, the false protagonist from Psycho. The original Friday the 13th movie has that as well. I'm just talking about plot-wise, they're picking up the movie basically where part two begins. Well, I had a suggestion where, because you got this, you know, back in time cold open, then you've got this kind of almost like a short (laughs) horror movie, and then it jumps to... Again, maybe ten years more in the future. I'm not sure that the no, the no, no. It's it's just a couple of weeks later, I believe. Oh, oh, that's right, that's right. It's a few weeks because yeah. And then it, and I thought, you know, they, why didn't they just start here with this brother putting up flyers looking for his missing sister? It's such a strong. Maybe you have that first one with the mother, and then just jump right to this guy putting up flyers. Mm-hmm. This is and exactly I thought, what I said about the first film. <laughs> oh, you did? Yes, he did. That's funny. Oh, and then I thought when the kids. Um, when they get around a campfire, they could tell the story because I think they say someone tells the story anyway, and then show the fl- flashbacks of maybe that cold open. Yeah. Because to me, I would it was very confusing. I really wasn't sure why they were there was these three opens to the movie, and I I wasn't sure if that was what they always did or. Well, to me, and and Josh, tell me if you agree with this or not. You know, they wanted to establish the lore, okay, which they did. And then they wanted to establish the basically the missing sister in this film by by showing all of that action that had happened in present day in modern times. Mm-hmm. So we had the lore. I didn't think it was necessary. I thought it was redundant as well, just the way I did the first film. But I 
Well, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, that's fine. But and you know, as we've talked about before, I mean, we horror fans, we like for there to be action up front in a slasher film. It's but fine. Like I said, to, the first time you've already had the opening kill. You don't need two sets of opening kills. I, I know. Like when you said that, and in, in the very first time we uh, reviewed the original, I'm like, "What? You want fewer kills in a horror movie? Like what? Yeah, yeah what? I wanted. I want story, and then I want to care about the characters, and then I'll care when they die. But they give you story, and they give you more kills. That's yeah, a bonus. It was flawed, and they could have given you more. They could have made you care about each of those kills a lot more if they'd spend the time with the story. So it's flawed just because most movies don't do it that way? Is that no, what you're saying? It's flawed because the movie has gaping holes in character and plot, and they could have filled those up had they not wasted all the time on two cold opens. So are you saying, just so I can understand you, in this movie in particular, that first group of kids, like I love the way William described that as a mini horror film there, like the short film, <laughs> do you lament that you didn't get to know any of those characters? I liked those characters way better than actually. I, the The saddest thing about the way that was presented is that I enjoyed all of those characters better than the characters we got for the thrust of the film. Wow. But um, I just think it's a waste of time and, and, and it is structurally confusing because you just don't, you don't need it. I, I like it as a fan of the franchise because I like seeing Jason in his bag head and I like that it mirrors the first film. Yeah. And I really don't care at this point in the franchise at all anymore about any of this, but I, I would say as a reimagining, it's interesting as a standalone film. I'm noticing that it has problems. I see. Hey, can I ask a clarification? Um, this is just something it would be helpful if I could just kind of get a understanding of it early sure. on. So sure. you said baghead, and I, I was using Tuscan Raider. I'm, I, I'm, I didn't read any reviews. I'm sure that's been used before. I don't know. But there was a star. There was a kid with a Star Wars shirt on. And then when it first shows what you find out to be Jason, he totally looked like a Tuscan Raider, like a Mongoloid <laughs> Tuscan Raider. And then I was curious because I was like, oh, I thought Jason had a hockey mask. And then later in the film, he randomly finds one. I'm wondering, is it part of the genre where he he finds his mask or he loses his mask? How does the mask work out in these he gets the mask and he gets the hockey mask in part three. He has the bag head in part two. Mm, and what this does. movie is doing is it's condensing all of those four first four films and kind of picking and choosing what it likes and adding a lot of new stuff as well. Okay. Right. So it's shown that before then. I didn't know if that was new to this. I thought it might have been a new twist that he didn't always have it and they're going to show him find it or something. Yeah. And because, and as you, I'm sure you probably know, William Rowan Jr. In a slasher film, I mean, it is common to have the the slasher killer to have some sort of mask. And Jason, technically, Jason as killer did not appear in the first film. Okay, the very, and I'm talking the original. The killer was, um, and we're in spoilers, of course. So the killer was his mother. Um, we see a, a flash of him at the end in a dream sequence as a boy, but I'll just set that aside. We see Jason as killer starting in the second film. And in that whole second film, he has the bag head. And then in the third film, as Josh said, he obtains the hockey mask. Oh, so I, okay. I just want to say, I think for our listeners, we might be losing them right now because I think no one's going to be that interested in hearing us explain to someone who doesn't know the franchise Sure. What happened? Well, I think I think what will be more interesting is for William to explain to us what he saw, and then we review the film as we saw it. Yeah, go for it. Okay. 
Well, my question was mostly getting at from a f- just watching a story or a film. I thought that the mask would have a meaning, and I didn't pick up on it. It almost seemed like he found himself in a random place, killed a random person that I don't think he was a local. So I was confused on. I thought again, it kind of seemed like he was only killing in people, strangers to the land or invaders to his property and typically young kids partying. And then he was up in an attic that had a bunch of just all sorts of stuff and he just randomly finds the mask. So I kind of thought, hmm, I thought there was meaning. I just assumed I had projected that there'd be meaning behind the mask or for the mask. I mean, that was, a, really- that was a disappointment for me too because I think, you know, he gets it randomly in part three as well. But it becomes iconic just because it looks cool, basically, yeah. right? I think yeah. with this movie, they had an opportunity to make it meaningful, and I don't think they they obviously didn't take that. It like, was also the first time I noticed... Sorry, go ahead. Like if his mom would have been murdered by a hockey player who was a goalie <laughs> or something. I, it, was just a ra- it was just a random moment. Um, I don't know. Or even like for later, you have Aaron Yu playing with a hockey stick. It would have made much more sense for that character to be wearing the hockey mask, as opposed to just a random guy in a in a barn. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I did notice for the first time. This was the first time I kind of woke up to the idea of like, wait a minute, why does he kill any of the locals? Like, why is he? And then why doesn't he always? If he is killing them, because like you know we have so many times like at the beginning of part three, I believe. Yeah, where he's killing people in their, you know, in their homes and stuff, and it's like he does that so rarely in the franchise. If he did that all the time, nobody would live in this area at all. Um, and those people have all seemed to live there for a long time. Um, it it was the first time in the franchise that, or in all our viewing that I thought, wait a minute, why is he even killing these guys? It did make sense. They set it up in this movie. This guy, not only number one, Jason was the guy stealing the kerosene or or the fuel from his barn. And this guy happened upon him at the wrong time. And also, this guy was stealing marijuana from Jason's grow patch, apparently, that Jason has going out in the woods <laughs> that everybody's trying to raid all the time. Is that what was going on? Are you just saying that? No, that's what was going on. What? I never, I, I never caught that, Josh, that it was Jason's weed. I'm not saying that he's the one growing it, but it's on his property. Okay. And this guy came onto yeah, the property it, to retrieve. It could have been a patch of sunflowers. He would have been just aggressively protective. Probably so. Okay. Although okay. we don't know. Jason has been a lot more industrious in this film than he is in any of the previous ones. He's dug an entire underground um, tunneling Lair. system with bells and hooked up to it. Um, he's much more agile and aggressive and intelligent. He's great with a bow and arrow. So there's all these things about Jason that seem incongruous with, or incongruent with our previous understanding of him so maybe he is growing weed we don't know um can i mention something that stood out to me pretty quickly Mm -hmm. i wasn't used to the style of kills that were in this uh they they seemed very similar themed in some ways um but one of them that stood out i thought was really cool like a crazy kill and it was like freaking me out was uh when he hung one of the girls in the second cold open i'm calling it uh in a sleeping bag over a campfire oh yeah I mean, I have never seen anything like that. that was I was the first cold open. Yeah. Oh, well, the, the, oh, sorry. The second cold open. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But it did. So I was like, wow, this movie's bringing it. Um, but then, of course, it did kind of like maybe it was the edit. It kind of made it seem like I think a guy kind of pulls her away from it. And yeah, she's kind of, you know, she's crispy, 
but she didn't look like she'd be dead. I mean, people survive those kind of burns, but she was just kind of smoking, but she looked alive, but she was supposed to be dead. I just well, think they should have shown her. Right. She should have. <laughs> they should have shown her more melted. <laughs> I, I actually hated that that kill. I guess. Oh, um, because on. I love the sleeping bag kill in part seven, and as we mentioned with Jason X. Anytime you kind of approach that and don't do it as well, it's annoying to me. Oh, they were. It just—it seems so involved. Yeah, I mean, this was an homage, and I I did not appreciate it in Jason X. They failed on that, but I did appreciate it as an homage in this film. I would say the machete. Not knowing it was an homage, it was crazy to me. I hadn't seen anything like that in a long time. It seemed very torturous. It almost seemed like a Freddy Krueger kind of thing to do. And we should say this film was written by the guys who wrote Freddy vs. Jason and directed by the guy who did the Texas Chainsaw remake for Platinum Dunes. And produced by Michael Bay. Yeah, and produced by Michael Bay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it stars, I mean, we should also mention this too real quick while we're on this listing off people. Danielle Panabaker, who's um, a pretty popular and beloved horror actress, and Derek Mears plays Jason Voorhees, and he is one of my all-time favorite Jasons. I, I love his physicality. Okay, I wanted to ask you about that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, tell, ask. Tell, tell us about that. Okay, well, first of all, this guy is a gigantic man in real life, and, and he is um, just an impressive physical specimen. And, like, let me just give you one example. I think it's in the barn trying to remember there there's a a move that he does where he he starts to run at somebody and attack and he does this little skip step when he's starting to like ramp up his speed yeah you know how you do that when you judge your distance i know how looney tune cartoons do that when they judge their no 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 no. this there is nothing cartoonish about this whatsoever this is just brute raw physicality and this guy is coming at you like a hardcore athlete and I think he's genuinely frightening. A lot of times, even though I'm a slasher fan, a lot of times I don't think slasher killers are scary to me. And I don't know why. It's not because I'm tough. But it's just, I don't know. They just don't usually scare me unless there's something freaky about them. But this guy, he, he is so powerful and formidable that um, he actually intimidates me. Like sitting on my couch, I'm a little bit nervous about him. Yeah, that's. He- Fascinating. Josh, don't you you like the same thing about uh the actor that's huge that plays Michael Myers, right? The yeah, D- I was gonna I was gonna say this is comparable to Tyler Maine's performance as Michael Myers in terms of kind of reimagining the character. There's enough of the original that it's recognizable, but the intensity is on a whole new level and the speed is on a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Um I mean uh, there are things I like and don't like about it. As you know, we've had this discussion when we did Halloween the slow zombie versus fast zombie approach. I far, I far, far prefer the slow zombie. Um, but there's something about this. And just like with Tyler Maine's performance, even though I would say it's not as true to the Jason that I love, like the ones that I actually like in the franchise, this is dissimilar to, but I think he gets it far better than any of the fast Jasons that we've seen previous to this. Mm. And it's so, um, viscerally terrifying and exciting yes. to see him in action. Yes, uh, it is. It's real. It's a really good performance. Can I just say I I agree with what you're saying 
but I disagree with my enjoyment. Like I don't, I'm not personally, it's weird, Jason. I felt the exact opposite of what you said. For example, I remember seeing the first Halloween and there is a scene and I think people have forgotten this. Maybe they haven't, but if you, I, I encourage everyone to go look at the scene where Mike, Michael Myers appears to a random kid with a pumpkin. It's one of the first time it shows him outside of a school and he's just kind of intimidating a kid. It is the most skinniest wire is like a wire, like a tall, skinny, wiry person. <laughs> it's not a big guy at all. He doesn't look threatening. He doesn't look hairy. He doesn't look veiny. He doesn't look anything other than just like someone just like maybe just, you know, the skinny mechanic, right? That, that you, in your local town. Yeah. And to me, from then on, that's what scares me is that it's the little skinny guy. That's gonna just cut your throat. You didn't even know he was he had he didn't have anger problems. He didn't he never snapped at you. He never even swore. But then he's once he snaps, you're a goner, man. Those well, are the this is that- a nice combo of that because um, you know the other Friday the Thirteenth movies. Jason is usually much bigger than this. He maybe isn't quite as tall, but he's a lot bulkier, a lot more lumbering, a lot slower, a lot thicker and stronger than uh, Derek Mears is. But there's something about that's kind of what I like about this. Derek Mears is so kind of like wiry and sinewy while at the same time. So strong. He's athletic is what he's I would athletic. say. He's got a, yeah, but he's very, it, it's a combination of being him being so tall and so fit that he's like, he's very muscular, but there's no bulk to him whatsoever. Cause he's so tall. I don't know. It's really, it's a really crazy build. Um, and I think intimidating, but also for the way that William's talking about too, I kind of like, um, I like his, how agile he is compared to, mm-hmm. so, and again, even though lumbering Jason is my favorite Jason up until this point, I like this version quite a bit as well. Yeah. But you know, I, for, for a first timer, I was confused about, and maybe it doesn't matter. I, I would say ultimately I just let it go and said, uh, he's an unstoppable force. That's just yeah. how I started <laughs> yeah. seeing him. You can but say I that. I did try to think, though, is he supernatural? Is he some sort of, like, scientific abnormally? Not. Is he Frankenstein? I, I couldn't figure out, is he, can he die? Can he not die? I mean, I just assumed that the whole franchise probably just went, he's invincible at some point. Yeah, but I, I mean, didn't. He, he gets resurrected many times in the original franchise. In this, he's mortal. And this, and, and this flies in the face of Jay of the Dead's theory that, um, he didn't drown. This this movie is saying he did not drown. He saw his mother get killed. That's what drew drove him over the edge. Yeah, that's well, a reimagining. This <laughs> well, it's actually word for word from the second film. But okay. <laughs> well, he does some. He's really. Let's just put it this way. He's really good at what he does. I mean, he's gotten away with it for so long, and he's he's like you know. Remember those aliens in um, M Night Signs where they're just all of a sudden on top of a house. Yeah. You don't know how they got there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's pretty ninja-like, I would well, say. Well, it's the tunnels, and that and that's that's another interesting thing. Some people probably hate this about this remake. It's something I appreciate because it explains how does how is Jason always behind you? Because that's where he is. Where is he? He's behind you. And how did he get there? Because he's magic. But in this movie, he got there because he has a complex system of underground tunnels that are connected to bells, so he knows where people are. And he knows how to get there, and he can go through little trap doors and things. I mean, in some ways, okay, you're telling us too much about it. Like, it's, it's one of those situations where people think, like, with the Star Wars prequels, for example, we didn't want to know this inf- much information. We didn't need them 
Midichlorian's explanation, but I think right. it works in this. It's scary in this movie. Except, except I do have one major gripe that really bugs me. Jason has never before kidnapped or kept captive any of his victims. He has a reason, though. And it's a good reason, and it ties into Friday the 13th Part 2 once again, which is great. It's annoying to me because this is this is just not characteristically Jason. He thinks it's his mother. I had no idea it wasn't. I just took it as he likes did, to keep trinkets because there's a lot of junk around. Did you understand that he believed that she looked like his mother? Yes, yes, I get so I'm that. Ask, I'm asking William that. Oh, okay, no, sorry. No, I. <laughs> it's such an obvious. Once the second you just said it, that's so obvious, but. I just, in my mind, it was like that I knew that was his mother's and that I guess I just assumed he didn't have a mother anymore and he was excited to There's have a, a line. Mother. There's a line where the guy says, hey, she looks just like you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And well, which, which, which for fans of the series, you know that a lot better because at the end of two, you know, this is played up when the, gr- the final girl is wearing the mother's sweater and speaking to him as though she's the mother. Um, it, it's part of our mythology, Jay. It's it's an interesting reimagining of what you know this franchise has given us up to this point. I know, I I get that, but you know, uh, the other thing, and you've you've kind of hit on this already. It it bugs me a little bit that Jason is that complex a character in this film, and and it's not that he's super complex, mind you, but he is more of a thinking type of character. And that's actually one of my favorite aspects about him as a monster is how he is just set. He has one setting and that's it. Yeah, and that setting is kill. Just kills what he sees. Yeah, kill. Just kill, period. And that's why this guy's I, a hunter. This Jason is a hunter. Right, right. And I, you know, I like him as, as just a just a full blown, just almost mindless killer yeah. where he and, and it's not like the thing that's cool about him to me. It's weird. It's not like he's like, I'm so mad. I'm going to like take out people. You know, I'm so ferocious. It's just like, that's his purpose. That's what he does. It's like anybody, like a guy who washes windows or something. It's like, oh, here's another dirty window and he cleans it. Well, this guy's like, here's another person and I'm going to kill him. And that's what he does. But he seemed to really hate those canoes. He was pissed. (laughs) He was throwing. I mean, that scene was crazy. (laughs) <laughs> like, I mean, that guy hates those canoes. He's going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you cracked me up, William. The thing is, we can call this, and we haven't really covered this a whole bunch on Horror Movie Podcast yet, but after talking and consulting with uh, Kyle Bishop, Dr. Walking Dead, we have a, at least Dr. Walking Dead and I, I don't know if you agree with this, Josh, or you, William, but uh, Dr. Walking Dead and I have established between us at least that, you know, a remake is when they reimagine one film, okay? But if it ends up turning into a reimagining of the franchise and they have, and they start doing a series of these new movies, which I guess they're intending to have more co- more to come, then at that point it becomes a reboot. So, but at this point, since this is still the only remake that exists, it's a remake. It was intended to be a reboot initially. Um, right. It was successful. It wasn't as successful as Freddy versus Jason was. Um, Which I don't understand, but I mean, I mean, I guess it was budget-wise, but it made less money. So, uh, you know, because this budget was also half of the Freddy versus Jason budget, you know, and it didn't quite make as much in theaters either. But. Yeah, 
I found that I really disliked uh, the second group of kids for the most part. And, and I was really enjoying the performances of the first group of kids. There's a kid named Ben Feldman. I, I really like him in the first group. Um, I thought he was interesting. I like, um, there's Nick Minnell, who was also in, funnily enough, the Halloween remake uh, with Rob Zombie. Um, he's uh, the guy at the house with the beer that, mm-hmm. that Michael sticks to the wall. So I, I was enjoying that that cast of kids. I was not hot on the second half. I'm a big fan of Party Down, um, but I still I thought felt like Ryan Hansen was really distracting in that role for me. Was that um, Clay and, or the Jock? Uh, no, Ryan Hansen was Nolan. He was the guy that was on the boat, you know, oh. from from Party Down. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, well, you guys got to see Party Down. Um, <laughs> I did not like I did not like Travis Van Winkle either. He was the main guy or Trent, um, whose house it was. Yeah. Uh, well, what did you guys think of Clay, the character of Clay from Jared Padalecki? Um, let's go with William first because Jason and I have additional information, I guess. Oh, okay. Well, my first impression of him in this film was he just seemed like a, a great performance of a guy looking for his his sister. He seems so very passive. Like if any any jock or rich, pampered jock privileged person would ever be that aggressive against me i I would never be able to compose myself (laughs) like he's just kind of like okay i'll leave i guess he doesn't want me here comes back okay i I could understand why you want me to leave but by the end of the movie man he should be a boxer or maybe like an ultimate fighter he can take a beating i mean (laughs) jason was thrashing him and he was almost like the other side of that coin of of jason like he just kept popping right back up like you know like just the dust flew off of him and he was ready to to go what did you think of his the the conceit of him looking for a sister did you like that in the narrative very much yeah i did it a lot yeah to me i i I wasn't sure like it, it complicates the story i like it because you know again it's it's drawn from part four as we know um but I and I do like that it kind of makes you think like oh maybe some of these kids are going to live and have interesting, um, you know, sto- actually have interesting stories, which I think this movie did um, a few times. It kind of gave you more to go with with a lot of the characters um, mm-hmm. than than the average Friday the Thirteenth movie might. Yeah, I. By the way, I just wanted to chime in and just say I I actually really like that whole looking for the sister thing because. It it harkens back and reminds me of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, my my favorite, and I'm talking the original from '74 because, um, in that film, the way that they end up, I guess, wandering off and then they go looking for each other, that that just that has become just a horror movie conceit to me. That's just what horror movies do, where characters need to seek other characters, and that's really creepy actually because it reminds me of that old expression. Man, I'm going to butcher this. But it's like, if I don't speak for you, they'll take you away. And then if <laughs> if I don't speak for the other people, then who's going to speak for me when they come to take me away? Do you know what I'm oh, talking about? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah um, I, Chinese proverb or something? I butchered no, that no, no. right there. I mean, I just totally destroyed that. But anyway, that reminds me of that whole horror movie conceit where eventually, you know, when you have people looking for other people and they're just disappearing and it's a one-by-one you know, slasher formula, eventually, like, there's nobody left to come looking for you, and that's creepy. See, you talk about Clay, but see, to me, my favorite character of the new characters was uh, Juliana Gill. Is that how you say her name, I guess? 
Yeah. Or go, <laughs> she Brie. plays she plays Brie. And I have to say, in the most tasteful way possible, that um, she was one of my favorite horror movie actresses. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> was that code? I've, yes, I've told, okay. that's all I have to say about that. But I just want to say that um, pretty unforgettable, actually. So oh, okay, well, well, you're okay. So you're talking code. Can I? I'll try to talk code. It won't be that coded, though. But I was very confused about something. <laughs> um, I actually saw. I didn't realize till after I saw it. I think it's called the Killer Cut. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, yeah. It are is. there multiple versions? What versions did you guys see? I also saw the Killer Cut. Same. Same. Oh, okay. So I believe the part that you are referring to. So um, I did not realize <clears throat> what a Killer Cut meant. Maybe to this film, but um, I would say that. It was kind of like uh I mean I'm assuming it's just the unrated version, right? Yeah, but I, I being the novice or the uninitiated, I guess I at some point after a certain scene I thought to myself, I'm like, "Hey, you just watched some uh softcore porn just now. That just happened." <laughs> Are you talking about the op- the the cold no. op- second cold open? No. I'm talking oh. about I thought you were talking about the the girl that uh, you know uh, in, entices the the jerk that I was talking about that owns the mm-hmm. what oh, is it a right. mansion cabin? <laughs> yeah, some sort of mansion, and they they're calling a cabin. Is that not who you were talking about, Jay? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and okay, well, can I just say the, the only thing that I was feeling about this whole thing is the the guy while going through this uh, uh, the best experience of his life, I guess at the time, he kept saying the same thing over and over again. Uh, complimenting her about uh, one of her, some of her features, and I thought, okay, well, this is so weird. Oh, I just realized what person you were talking about finally. Okay, and I, and I thought, well, <laughs> I know what's happening. Okay, this is obviously a setup, and what's going to happen is her demise will involve the part of that are being complimented because why else would you have this? I would say sort of fetish type situation here <laughs> and and then that didn't happen so the kill didn't involve that and i was like okay see if you if you would have just paid that off even though this is way outside of what i would search for but i'm just saying i'm i'm in it and i'm stuck here and so i was just like well maybe if it had a payoff or something but then it didn't so my my critique there was mostly wasn't quite sure obviously jay you're saying that wasn't in the theaters. No, that- no, no. I, no, what I am saying is it was um, pretty similar. Like that particular scene was uh, basically the same thing in the theater because it was rated R for strong, bloody violence, some graphic sexual content, language, and drug material. So it was there. But okay. But Do you guys ever feel like those scenes are are at least I don't know if it's I want to say easier to accept. Because that's pretty weird. What? Um, maybe more like less dirty? No. I have a theory on this, actually. <laughs> it, Bel- it needs a payoff for me, but go ahead. Believe it or not, I actually do have a theory on this. Okay. Okay. And I, and again, and I apologize to anybody who thinks this is distasteful because I'm trying to be as tasteful as possible in this review. But during that sequence... You did start this. Okay, I know. And I, and I kind of regret it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I do want to say that when... See, when you watch a horror film, okay, the filmmakers, if they're smart, a lot of times they will try to, in, like, incorporate you 
as um, relating to the victims, obviously. And we see this in a number of ways, like they'll show us subjective point of view from the camera because we identify with the camera and so forth. But also, when when these types of scenes are in horror movies, especially Friday the 13th, which has a lot of this type of thing, then they know that that's what a lot of the Friday the 13th fanboys and maybe fangirls, I don't know, what they appreciate about it. And so by having that character vocalize, actually say the dialogue, which is most likely what viewers probably think, then, no, I'm serious, then that pulls the viewer into that situation where they are relating and actually becoming one of the characters because they are so on the same wavelength in sentiment. (laughs) That is crazy. Uh, let me tell you what I came up with. I'll defend. I the only defense I can come up is this: we take moments when we are the most vulnerable, and then horror loves to violate that. And I've always thought that these scenes are in there because there are people at a vulnerable moment, mm-hmm. and there are different types of vulnerable moments. But that's how I've ever thought of it. But you have your take. That's and, interesting. And to chime in with yours, I'll build upon yours. Often, horror <laughs> it takes. The best day of your life and ruins it. <laughs> like, like, so, you know, there That's you go. True. I'll leave yeah. it at that. But okay. So, <laughs> yeah, that happens. Okay. Where were we? There was one thing that was pretty consistent. If I remember right about this film where these kids, man, they are tough. They, they could handle anything emotionally. I mean, there's a scene where, um, Clay and I believe Jenna have escaped the mansion in the woods and they're walking by a lake where a dock where earlier a blonde girl, I think Chelsea, Chelsea or Chelsea, I can't remember, is killed. But then she's kind of floated to the to the shore. <laughs> and Jenna, they're trying to walk fast. I'll give her that. But she kind of goes, hey, I know that girl. And she just walked by her. <laughs> and I'm like, man, you guys are amazing. You guys are not faced by any of this. I just think I would crumple up. I don't know. I just, I just thought. Did you guys notice? No one is that phased, really. No one. Often you'll find one character breaks down, and then that causes a bit of a conflict with the rest. Like everyone's like, "Pull yourself together," and someone shakes her or him and slaps them. Like you know that kind of cliche scene. But <laughs> yeah. None of that happens in this film. They're all. It's fight or flight, and they're all. They're all fight. Yeah, and and, and really, most probably most people would be um, crumbling, like you s- described. Absolutely. But horror movie shows that. So- a lot of times, doesn't it? At least somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's usually at least one, but I think it would be in real life. If these things were to happen, it would be more than one. Yeah. Well, I I never laughed so hard just because the the way that the line was. She might even said her name. She might have said, "Hey, that's Chelsea." She just like walked by. <laughs> I don't know. It was just funny to me. <laughs> yeah, I give you that. I didn't even think about that, but that is hilarious. Okay, so any other thoughts before we start to wrap this up here? Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Um, not really for me. I mean, I, I I guess I would just reiterate things that, that I've already said. I there's one kill moment that really scared me, and and it, and even though um, there was nothing really like that for me the rest of the movie, it stuck with me enough that I was kind of tense the rest of the movie actually the entire sequence where he has the bag on his head um like his his approach to those kills was way scarier than uh, a lot of all the rest of the movies combined Mm -hmm. i would say but there's a moment where he puts his foot on the guy's face and pulls out the machete you remember that part yes Mm -hmm. yeah that 
freaked me out when I saw that. And it was like enough that kind of like I was traumatized in a good way for the rest of the movie. Like I was still scared from that idea of Jason because it's so unlike the Jason we've seen before. I think that's part of the reason why it works is because when you're used to lumbering Jason to think like, okay, this is still Jason, but he's going Mach 10. That is kind of scary. And I think that ups the, I think having those other movies in your head ups the value of this Jason a little bit. Yeah. It's like having him, um, excuse the expression, but it's like having him super pissed or something. Like he's like really ferocious in this movie. Yeah. And, and on, and on an upper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. I agree. I also that. thought that the, even though I was making fun of it earlier, I thought the arrow, the bow and arrow scene looked really cool. Yes. And I thought the dock scene where he walks out on the dock, I thought that looked really cool. So I don't know. I was I was thought I would dislike the kind of addition of the CGI gore effects because I am a fan of practical makeup effects and stuff, but I thought it was really interesting. I mean, I thought it looked really viscerally stimulating and terrifying. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, I was confused why he didn't use that bow and arrow more. Seemed like Yeah, it would be a very effective that. tool for him, yeah. yeah. That, that totally surprised me. I didn't know he was uh, open for, you know, anything he could find because, I mean... I'm. I was aware that he had this machete most of the time, but yeah, he seems like he would grab anything too. But I don't know. He, well, he obviously. Yeah, I mean, favors. the creative kills is one of the hallmarks of the franchise. I would say this movie has less of that because I mean, he does seem like he's very machete centric in this film for for Jason. He's not sneaking under beds with with arrows and things like that. But well, what I love about this particular film, and I and I really do love this. I'll just say right up front is I feel like this movie is. I mean, ever since the first film, the very first one, this one is the one of the most set in reality, which is my favorite thing in horror is when it's it's credible and it could happen. And especially after following like Jason goes to hell and Jason X and all this yes. ridiculous stuff. Yes. When you see them set back in reality again with this, you're like, oh, yeah, now it's on. You know, I mean, it's great to see him as a as a like a real life type of monster. Yeah. And with a new energy as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So with that, let's wrap this up and we'll start with William Rowan Jr. Tell us um, your rating and recommendation for Friday the 13th from 2009. Okay. Um, yeah. Do you mind if I just, there was a couple things I was just really confused about and oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll add it into my wrap up. So sure. Um, I didn't understand why they, they took Jason's body and, carried it to the lake i don't know what the lake had to do with anything um but also like within 30 seconds or a minute before the credits rolled like he jumps back out of the lake and like freeze frames <laughs> and i i'm telling you guys i'm a i just assumed this was something in the franchise but i had in this film i'm pretty sure it's not established and it made it didn't make any sense i was like why isn't that supposed to be a stinger at the end of the credits like why did they well i don't understand why this happened this way <laughs> Do you guys have any explanation or enlighten mm-hmm. me? You want to take it, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I think what's more interesting is that's interesting to me that this movie doesn't set up the lake properly because that obviously, for those people who know the franchise, that is one of the most important aspects of Jason is him drowning in the lake and then it being kind of this place where his spirit dwells or something and then he's uh-huh. you know reawakened and revived multiple times and... So he's Jason of the water instead of Lady of the water. Like that's his word. You have to kill the lake to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. And he ends up in many films that he ends up getting 
killed or or imprisoned, so to speak, at the bottom of the lake again. He keeps returning to the lake, even from outer space so this to is why the this lake. Is to me, so fascinating to have William on is because he's pointing out things that we're taking for granted because we know the <laughs> franchise so well. But it's really right. Sounds incomprehensible if you don't know the franchise and why these things are happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I was in good spirits and I feel like I hope that I presented myself that way today. I was enjoying myself. I did feel a little in the dark. But so, I mean, guess what? If anyone's listening, if there's any time in your life where maybe you've never wanted to reach out and step outside yourself and and experience something different, I'm not very good at it. So I'm not necessarily saying you should do it because I'm good at it, but I did it with this, and it's fun. It's it's fun to experience things that you just, I guess maybe you've always avoided or you just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I can sum up my feelings. I believe it's a quote in in the film. I've only seen it, I've seen it twice, but I can't remember who said it. But um, like the theme of this movie is stated at some point, and might have been by the cliche or token Asian uh, kid. Which is, I don't remember his character's name. He's, but he's a great, first of all, he's a really funny character. I don't think it's fair to call him the token Asian. He's, I think his character is. Like, I thought that was the joke for the writers and filmmakers. Well, maybe, but he's really, don't you think he's really, li- I thought he was really likable and funny. Oh, and totally. But I'm, the, but there was also, okay, well, what do you call it when there's one black guy in a film? Well, you could just call him John or Mark. I know, I could, okay. But <laughs> I still feel like when you do that in this setting, it's. It's like I'm sure he was token. I'm just okay. saying I don't think he was to be fair, I don't think he played it or was written as token. I thought he I thought he was a well-rounded interesting character for this it, 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 within this franchise cuz usually they're not very well-written or well-rounded, but I see. I agree with that. I I didn't mean to take that away. But anyway, I think he says let's just all be one big happy cliche. I believe that's said he, in this right. film. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I feel like Cabin in the Woods, which I had seen before this, I think that's this is the film that inspired Cabin in the Woods. That's going to be my I know that people are going to say it was a lot of movies, but I'm convinced there were scenes that were copied from this film. I, I, it could be a coincidence. Um, so I guess here's what I would it, it to me it was a little bit on that side of it's kind of it's so bad it's good. I enjoyed myself, but I wasn't really ever scared or threatened or there wasn't really anything that I was being uh, horrified about. I guess I would recommend it to anyone who likes horror movies, slasher movies, especially the Jason franchise. As a film, I guess I would give it, oh, probably a four. And yeah, rent if you uh, need to get you know your horror on. Okay. Wow, four out of ten. That seems low to me, but that's okay. I mean, that's if that's how you feel. I guess I, you know, I I'd be interested though, huh, Josh, in in seeing what he would rent this had he watched all these other things that we just watched over the past few weeks. Well, it's the thing; it's like by comparison, um, this is a masterpiece. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cause... But you know, like, um, no, I mean, I, first of I'll all, put I will it, I'll say... put it to a five. How about that? Do you no, guys no, feel no, 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 no. I'm not trying to push up your rating. Honestly, I just think it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, having experienced what we have the past couple of weeks with. Of like Jason goes to hell, which is abysmal. Like this was very well done compared to that. But oh wow, I will say that William is always a very tough rater. Like he always rates things very low, in my opinion. So unless it's the giver, unless it's the giver. Yes, right. I'll never live that down. <laughs> I believe that's a dark, horrible, 
ending, but no one seems to believe me, and I believe I that's where I, the glitch is in that in that rating. I want to see that movie just because you say that. I think, I, I, I think I, it's I, one of those bleak endings where it, clearly they. I'll just say it. I don't care anymore, guys. Spoiler. That Spoiler, turn off your ears if this is a problem. For The Giver, which probably isn't on many horror no, fans' yeah. lists. But There's go ahead. this kid fighting against oppression the whole film, and I believe the price he paid to get everyone free is his death. He had to sacrifice himself and a small child that he had with him because there's this abstract scene at the end that I think was him coming home to heaven, and he died. And I was like, I love this. I love this. This is a good story to be. But... Apparently, I'm the only one who thinks that, and everyone thinks it's what it, it's not. It wasn't a vision, or it wasn't. It was all literal. He went to this happy place that somehow existed in this dystopia that I, I can't explain it. But anyway, I just I have to say that. Well, the way you described it, I think I would believe what you believe. So, <laughs> anyways, so William Rowan Jr. says Friday the Thirteenth from 2009 is a four out of ten, and he calls it a <laughs> rental. Okay, that's cool. Um, for me. This thing, I actually love this movie, and I was very pleased that they did such a good job with the reimagining of it. I also love and appreciate that they took um, the first four films, which I would say many people respect and appreciate, and, and kind of blended them together for this reimagining. We've talked about it already. I love uh, Derek Mears as Jason, his physicality. I actually think that is kind of scary, to be honest. And that's super cool to me and rare. It opens, and we see that tonight from William's reaction. And I, I remember thinking that all the opening setup and all that, they were trying to establish that. It's a little abrupt and it's a little underdeveloped. But I know that they didn't want to just, I guess, bore the horror fans with a story that they've known well for many years. So... Anyway, this is a tremendous remake. I, it's one of the better horror remakes. And I call this an 8 out of 10. And I say buy it. What do you say, Wolfman? Um, pretty close to you here. I, um, it, it's hard because like, as I've been thinking about my ratings for this franchise in general, and I'll talk about this more when we do the franchise overview, and then I think about other movies that I've rated <laughs> in the world. Like, man, I'm giving these movies way too high of ratings. Um as standalone films and, I, and I'm, I'm putting them in this capsule of this franchise, which I have a fun, I used to, I will say, have a really fondness for. I've actually really kind of sickened myself on this franchise during our watching of it. <laughs> well, um, we I, had to watch under very hardcore circumstances yeah, these past yeah, several it, weeks. It really was. But, and also these last several films have just been, unbearable for me um you know see first of all seeing eight and seeing a little bit of the shine come off of it a film that i like a lot but then having to watch a nine ten and, and freddie versus jason oh it was just so brutal but so so this really was a, a breath of fresh air to me um when i saw this movie i really liked this far more than the movies i've been watching for quite a while um but i do need to keep in perspective i do think that the baghead stuff even though as brief as it is it kind of excited me also because we just recently watched that town the dreaded sundown remake mm -hmm. and i thought this was way cooler than anything in that movie too i know you liked that movie to me this was like oh look how cool this kind of a killer could be and how scary even though you know i, I think this could have fit in that kind of remake as well that those scenes I also just liked the homage that it paid to the other films. I thought it was very 
I hesitate to word the, the words, use the words I'm thinking of, which are tasteful and classy, because this is clearly neither of those oh, things. Correct. <laughs> but um, but I, but it's a really thoughtful remake that is taking into account this, and you know, some of the best films from the franchise, and neatly tying them into this reimagining. And I appreciate that um, from a filmmaking point of view. I will agree with a lot of the people who say, well, this isn't even Jason. It doesn't feel like the Jason that we know. I will also say that's kind of why it's exciting at this stage in the franchise. So I give this one a seven and I'm going to call it a strong rental recommendation. Okay. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Hey, Jay, can I say one more thing? So yeah. I, I don't end up in a sleeping bag over a campfire. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, so, yeah, I haven't been watching this franchise. And I think if I, what Josh is explaining, or Wolfman Josh here, I probably would be much higher having what you guys are explaining, kind of a rough patch before this film. But I, again, maybe it's a huge flaw in my approach, but I took, considered somewhat slasher movies or similar, the best that I think exist to me, like Psycho, or I think the first Halloween um or maybe even The Shining, to me, fits in in a type of kind of similar psychopath slasher situation. And those are tens, and I was holding it to those three movies. And that, could, mm. to me, maybe someone, before they kill me, maybe they'll do it faster. Maybe they'll, they won't torture <laughs> me first. I just wanted to throw that out there. No, I think that's, I think that's extremely well put. And yes, I think yes. your rating has value as an outsider and that's what I was that's why I was most interested in, in having you on the show and I think you uh, delivered on the promise of that <laughs> notion and even though an outsider you are an outsider who is always welcome on horror movie podcast because William Rowan Jr. is also dead serious about horror movies right buddy that's right yeah so Anyways, that's our review of Friday the 13th from 2009, and I am very excited for the next installment of that franchise, so I'm saying bring it on. So as we wrap up then, just want to make sure that we get William's plugs. William, tell people where they can hear more of your podcasting expertise. <laughs> well, you know what? Come check me out at the scififipodcast.com, and you will also be joined, I'll be joined with Matroid, who has appeared on this very podcast along with his wife station that's where we discuss all things sci-fi it's a brand new sister podcast to this podcast if you don't know yeah it's very similar where we often have themes uh for example our second episode that will be coming out soon will be the chosen one we're talking all movies sci-fi chosen one themes and what it means and just to give you a little taste we had a difficult time even defining what it meant from the get-go so <laughs> it's a good discussion um, love it i can't wait to hear that <laughs> also uh check me out at movie streamcast here with wolfman episode 47 i and josh go over tucker and dell versus evil and how we feel about it and then of course that podcast we advise whether you should stream it to cue it or skip it and of course jay this is a podcast you started yeah, and i always hammer. give you the proper yeah, with jeff cameron <laughs> i always want to give you the proper credit that's nice that's nice but not necessary yeah i have to give that all it was jeff's hammer's baby and then Josh took it and made it a million times better than anything I contributed. So, and I'm not being falsely modest. Speaking of movie streamcast, though, can I just recommend that people check out the episode that you did with Josh when you guys reviewed 
the sweet blood of Jesus, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. And um, that episode is very intriguing. I would highly recommend that here to the horror crowd because it's the Spike uh, Lee horror joint. Yes, yeah, and it's it's episode. Let me see. It's a bonus episode that came out January sixteenth, twenty fifteen. I'll right. I'll link it in the show notes. Anything else, William? Oh, uh, yes. I also will be appearing on the next episode of the Movie Podcast Weekly with with you, Jason, yes. where we discuss Chappie. Absolutely. And we, and we have a similar situation where we find ourselves at opposite ends of the spectrum. And I still don't believe we represent ourselves fairly and honestly and are respectful at the same time. But if you want to see two different opinions completely on a film, <laughs> please go listen to that episode. It's very good. Yeah, it really is. And I, I loved it that you brought it on that episode. It is currently released now. I think it's episode 128. And yeah, it's a review of Chappie. It's definitely worth your time. And that's it. Thanks. I, actually, just thanks for having me. That's the last thing I want to say. Always. Always. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps up episode 46 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening all this time, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode as well. And I'm going to turn it over to my buddy here, Wolfman Josh. And Josh, what are your plugs since we're talking about plugs? Couldn't possibly plug the sci-fi podcast, the movie streamcast anymore at this point. So Right. Do subscribe to Horror Movie Podcast on iTunes and leave us a review if you haven't yet. We really would appreciate that. It's the one of the easiest ways to help support the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Icarus Arts. And that's it. And I just want to encourage people to check out Movie Podcast Weekly. If you like general movie reviews, we cover new releases. And if anybody has noticed on the website for horrormoviepodcast.com or Movie Podcast Weekly, I've been trying to ramp up the game, step up the game on social media. And so if you look at our social media icons, we now have a Facebook page for both shows, Google Plus for both shows, a bunch of other stuff. So check that out there. And oh, I, I also do these little mini reviews now. It's called Five Minutes of Horror. Now that is cool. That is, is now. Was this your big announcement of things that are getting awesome? No, but that's just one of the things. Okay, because this is awesome. everyone's been wanting to know what's going to be so awesome. And and honestly, guys, this is pretty cool. What Jason's doing. That's it's super really cool. nice. Yeah, thank you. I'll just be real quick and explain this five minutes of horror thing. What I'm doing is outside of this recording, I'm basically recording five minute mini reviews of a horror film. Most of them are going to be new releases, but just whatever strikes me. And I'm writing a review of it, and I'm also recording a review, and it's going to be on SoundCloud. Now, the main purpose for this is to just try to, I guess, rake in or attract new listeners who happen upon it through SoundCloud or with SEO and blah, blah, blah when it comes to like the reviews being on the site. And then if you don't want to listen to five minute reviews, like actually Josh and I love movie streamcasts because it's really fun to have those short reviews. But if you just like long form podcasts, period, of course, this is an appendage of horror movie podcast. And so what I'm going to do every two months or so, I forget how many it is that I do that ends up five minutes times... (laughs) 
It's like every 12 reviews, it ends up being like two hours. I'm just going to put out a really obnoxious bonus episode just cool. off release date or whatever. And if you want to just hear them all in a row at that, if you can stomach that much of Jay of the Dead. I shouldn't tell them that now. Or they're not going to go listen to the short ones. <laughs> well, it, it, either way, it doesn't matter. As long as they hear it, it doesn't matter. But the short ones, the real purpose is so you can try to recruit people for us and share the short ones with people people say hey go listen to this it's only five minutes whereas if you say listen to this friday the 13th franchise review they have 15 hours of it or whatever, whatever. <laughs> you, you know people are never gonna do that so anyway i just love it just check out those little icons there at the top right hand side of both of our websites that'd be great well done well done thanks brother now we love your comments everybody so Please feel free to email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode. And Wolfman Josh is amazing at answering the listeners. And that's one part of the game that I'm going to be figuring out a way to step up because I want to chime in more often myself. We also have voicemail that you can call in. It's 801-382-8789. And you can find our back archives of everything we've released thus far, including the weekly horror movie podcast and horror metropolis and all of that is at horrormoviepodcast.com subscribe free in itunes follow us on twitter at horrormoviecast and i want to thank fred ingram for the use of his music for our theme song you can find him at frederickingram.com and i think that's it so join us next week because right next week josh we're going to do the franchise overview mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the kills like uh, in particular our favorite kills right? we're going to talk about our favorites and then talk about the listeners favorites we'll, we'll add up all those that have been left on the website yes yes and um the listeners i think will be uh, today i lined up the special guest who is uh, tentatively available and i think listeners will be pleased with this special guest and um, we're also going to be doing some listener feedback as josh indicated there and announcing the prizes and so forth so just because we've reviewed all the films now doesn't mean the fun is over because we're going to have a lot more fun in next Friday's episode as well. So we thank you for listening and join us again on Friday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. So, uh, Dr. Shock, I believe you have an announcement for us. Yeah, just real quick, not really an announcement, just something I had noticed. And this goes back to what we were talking about a few episodes ago about the MPAA and how I I had thought maybe they were a little more strict with an independent movie than they might be with a studio movie. And what it was is I was I have gotten some new Blu-rays and I was entering them into my, you know, my collection. Um, I have DVD profiler and I usually do that by throwing in the UPC code and then it just pops right up. And at the bottom, you know, they always have the rating and they now give you the reason for the rating, like why the MPAA decided it was this rating. Here's the here are the reasons for it. So one of the movies is Foxcatcher. Mm-hmm. You know, up for several Academy Awards. You know, Steve Carell was in it. And and this one was rated R for some drug use and a scene of violence. Mm-hmm. And this is, I'm not mistaken, Josh, this is an independent film, is it not? That's correct, sir. Okay, Foxcatcher. So for some drug use and a scene of violence. The next one I picked up, this one is a, a studio. I believe a Hollywood studio is Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> this was PG-13 for crude and sexual humor, partial nudity, language, and some drug references. 
and that was PG-13. So you have some drug use, which is always really funny because, I mean, how do you quantify some? And a scene of violence. There they did quantify it. One scene of violence got that a rating R. And obviously there was like, was like four lines worth of things on Dumb and Dumber 2 and it got a PG-13. I'm not saying one deserved an R, one deserved a PG-13. I'm not saying that in either case. I'm just thinking it kind of really shed some light on how the MPAA seems to work it seems to know who's uh, paying their salary. Yes, well said. I agree with you. Dave, kind of cool, actually, you talked about the MPAA. I loved that discussion earlier. That's like a okay. whole episode, right? Yeah, um, it was. A, yeah. My friend, his aunt was part of the MPAA for a while. She would go to movies and help do that. And she mm-hmm. said that it was a different group of people for every movie. So a lot of it was a crapshoot. So you have a really staunch, conservative bunch of people going to something, the same group of people might go see something else and rate it something completely different. So there's no consistency. There's no rubric to follow. And to wow. me, that's that's a real problem, right? Yeah, I would think so. And you, you kind of discussed some of the motivations behind that, I think, with the, you know, the money issue and the independent versus studio. And I think that's there's some accuracy there. But I always found that a little shocking that, you know, depending on who goes to see the movie, what kind of rating you're going to get, that doesn't seem logical to me at all. No, no, not to me either. 